Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux, Freedom Aid, hope you're doing well, and I hope that you will be able to join the lovely Lauren Southern and myself in Australia and New Zealand. Oh, it's coming up next month, less than a month to go, really. For the start, we're talking Melbourne Friday, the 20th of July, 2018, Perth, Sunday, 22nd July, Adelaide, Tuesday, 24th July, Sydney, Saturday, 28th July, Brisbane, Sunday, 29th July, and Auckland, August 3rd. In New Zealand, it's going to be a fantastic show, a fantastic conversation, not just speeches, but you can, of course, catch Lauren Southern's excellent new documentary called Farmlands, and you can meet and greet with us. Please go to axiomatic.events to sign up. Please help us out. We guarantee you a great time. So, three callers tonight, but some great conversations. The first, very interesting call. It's a Syrian migrant who came to Germany, who thinks Germany is far too overrun with, wait for it, you guessed it, Syrian migrants. What a conversation about ethnicity and integrity and culture and history. And the second caller didn't like, or I guess doesn't like, that I make suggestions about people having children when they are young. And, well, let's just say he's in a demographic where it seems hard to understand why the stipulation or encouragement would be relevant, but all of that is answered over the course of the conversation. Now, the third caller, well, get ready to be outraged, atheists, because he wanted to know, well, do atheists tend to lean towards far-left ideologies, and why? Well, it's very illuminating what we talked about, and I hope that you will check it out all the way to the most magnificent end. And I also hope that you will help out the show at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Got some shopping? Just bookmark it. It's easy peasy. FDRURL.com forward slash Amazon. And pick up your copy of The Art of the Argument at theartoftheargument.com. All right. Well, first today we have Sam. Sam Rudin and said, I'm originally Syrian and currently German. I came to Germany in 2008. I did my master's in physics, I did my PhD in particle and atomic physics, and then I did a postdoctoral period in physics, and then decided to become a software developer professionally. I've been developing software since my master's. I've been doing software development professionally for over a year. Now basically the question I'd like to ask is, where the hell am I gonna go? To put this question in context, I'm a workaholic. Besides my day job as a developer in the space industry, I have three other jobs which is freelance work as a crypto developer, my own personal projects of a cryptocurrency exchange, and finally, consultancy work for the university, since I built a communication platform they use for some experiments. And with all this, I trade cryptocurrency, so I've made even more money, but I'm going to pay half of it in taxes. As you can imagine, someone who works this much wouldn't be happy with 45% taken off his paycheck. My fault and sin is that I make so much money because I work hard, and instead of buying a big house for my family after living for years in apartments that range in size from 25 to 57 square meters, I have to pay taxes for those refugees that live in 120 meter apartments and sleep every day till noon and don't even learn the language of the country. I'm talking from what I saw and what my wife saw with our naked eyes. And yet those people complain and are not happy with everything they're getting for free while I tear myself 16 hours a day working. Let's not forget about the sexual harassment my wife has started receiving since the migrant crisis. And it's not getting any better. Although the dominant right-wing party in Germany got highly voted in the last elections, it still isn't enough. 
The vote results are like 17% or something. And to be clear about my culture, I and my wife are ex-Muslims. Currently, I'm a flaming atheist, the kind that had debates with people and argues using quantum mechanics and quantum field theory why the universe probably doesn't have a creator. So after all this, I'm thinking of leaving. This country is going down and is continuously taking a cut of my children's money. Where the hell will I go? All Western countries have gone crazy with leftism, and I don't see a way out. Should I just stay in Germany and shut up and outlive this crisis? How should we deal with this? That's from Sam. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Stefan. Hi. Is, and now, can you give here? me the pronunciation of your name again? I could just say Sam. It's fine. It's Sam. It's Arabic. I can handle yeah, so. one extra syllable. <laughs> well, it's just do. not pronounced that easy in English or German or any language. So I just gave up, uh, gave up eventually, and Sam's fine. <laughs> right. well, I'll go with Samer, unless I get it completely That's wrong. That's fine. So what's the story? Give me the little history of your, your backstory, originally Syrian. When did you leave? Why did you leave? What happened? Well, I, uh, I used to be in Emirates for 18 years until I finished my high school. I had to leave the Emirates for family conditions. And then I went to Syria and did a bachelor, a bachelor in physics. So since I went to Syria, Syria is not for me. It's a corrupt country. It's a corrupt system. I mean, people go there in physics and like have a dead end. We are there to become teachers. And this is not me. This is not how I operate. So I was like looking to leave Syria since I, since I arrived there. And, uh, finally, like, uh, after I finished my bachelor, which, uh, which took the, which took four years and then one year in preparation, like IELTS and GRE and all these exams, I succeeded and left to Germany to Stuttgart where I did everything. So basically I went to Germany to study. So I did masters, I did my PhD and this backup story that, uh, backstory that you saw there. And well, that I don't know if that answers everything. Uh, basically, uh, I continued, and eventually, I was I wanted to become a scientist, but uh, it's really difficult. And uh, since I'm so experienced in programming, like all groups would throw me at programming projects, so I would not have become a very good professor. I don't know if you know in acad academia, if you don't publish so many papers, you don't have a good chance. So oh, yeah, publish or perish, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. So uh, since I'm, I'm I'm really good at programming, people have been throwing me uh, like at programming projects again and again and again. And so eventually I decided, well, I may as well just do it uh, professionally and make more money. And and I still have my connections. To, to my, so you kind of did probably a decade or more yeah. of physics research and ended up doing something not particularly related to physics. Well, <laughs> good job, higher education. Way to provide economic value to everyone included. <laughs> that, that is true. Although I have to say that uh, although uh, I did physics, my master's was computational physics. And my PhD was like half of it was in programming. Like I, I developed some magnetometer and that required some um, real-time uh, uh, data analysis system, which I did in C++, like uh, very high performance stuff. Yeah, but you taught and, yourself the programming, right? 
Yeah, that's true. Right. That is correct. So but, uh, the, the fact that you <laughs> use something self-taught to help in your physics degree doesn't make your physics degree any more valuable because you probably would have taught that stuff yourself because it's very interesting. That, that is true. That's true. But <sighs> having a project where I can apply that helps. This is like the Brian May story. I'm going to get a PhD in physics. No, nope, I'm going to write Fat Bottom Girls instead. All right. Um, and what was the what was the family conditions that was it UAE that you were in? Yes. And what were the family conditions that caused you to leave? Well, okay. Um, basically, we ha we ra started a company and we were scammed. This is like a very long time ago. We were scammed by some Emirati because in Emirates there is this law that uh, foreigners are not allowed to own property. So you cannot even own a company. So my mother wanted to start a company, by the way. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, from a, I'm from a single mom. Uh, uh, my dad left since I was 10 years old. So, um, so she started this company and uh, she went into lots of trouble and the company was scammed out of her. And uh, she had to leave Syria eventually for legal reasons. So uh, I stayed there for a year. I finished my high school and then went to Syria after her. I, I couldn't stay. And besides, uh, education in Emirates is very, very expensive and very crappy. So, I mean, there was no reason to stay there anymore. All right. Okay. So your mom had to leave. Was she going to be sued or was being sued? Uh, she was sued and she was, uh, you know, in Emirates, it's quite easy to be deported. Like, like really, if you have a, if you pick up a fight in the street, you'll be deported. It's that easy. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how easy immigration and demographics can be when you have an absolutist monarchy, as opposed to some sentimentalist Ivanka Trump whispering <laughs> in daddy Trump's ear kind of democracy. But yeah. All right. Oh my God. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at what's happening here. People like, like refugees break the law every day and no yeah. one cares. The police don't even have the power to, to, to cuff them or something. Don't well, no, because them. if you arrest people based upon their criminal activity, you're going to end up arresting a lot of migrants. But that's racist, yeah. you see. So you can't oh, do that. God. So you basically okay. have released uh, fairly feral people into the general population, disarmed the general population and made sure the police can't uh, deal with it. It's not really yep. very sporting. When you think about it, it's quite scary. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm diverting to a different topic a little bit, but I'm really scared. Like, uh, if I, if I, I mean, for this project I'm running, this exchange thing, if I put a few servers in my apartment and I get attacked, what am I going to do? I mean, I, I swear, if I have the, the power, I'll get some assault rifles and protect myself, but I can't. <laughs> I can't protect myself, and I, I can't expect the police to protect me. <laughs> what am I going to do? Uh, will you safer? in Syria than you feel in Germany? Absolutely not. No, Syria, I mean, look, in Syria, you don't have a chance to succeed unless you have corrupt connections. No, no, I mean, no, security. I, no, sorry, I just meant in terms of, uh, you said that your wife is subject to sexual harassment, I assume, from the migrants. Oh, no, she was, she, was, she was harassed all the time there. She came here in like 2012 when she was saved. No one was harassing her. And suddenly in a year or two, everything started over again. Oh, so and, she was being harassed in Syria. You flee yes. to Germany, and the wave yes. of grabby Middle Eastern hands exactly. kind of follows you, right? Exactly, exactly. And and she tells me like no one harasses me except for Arabs. Sure. Like like, like I mean, even Germans when they want to talk, talk to her, they talk nicely, and then she shows them the ring, and they're fine. Okay, they just thank you for your time and yeah. Some some cliches. 
yeah. are, are there for a reason. And the grabby Arabs, the grarer, grarabs, I don't know what you'd call them, but that may be there for uh, some empirical yep. research. Yep. Right. Yeah, we've right. seen that. We've and seen what, that. Is, so what is she facing from the migrants in Germany? Uh, very different things that range from uh, like sudden grabbing and running to uh, stalking. Like uh, once uh, there was this guy who stalked her and she had to lose him. Oh, like, just following serious? and following, right? Making yeah, comments. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, uh, she wouldn't want him to know where she lives, so, so she had to lose him. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And what is the mood from what you can see, Samer, in Germany? I mean, when you, are you able to talk privately? Do people express private concerns? Or is it pretty much like, no, this new country is fantastic? Oh no! I mean, uh, uh, okay. Uh, when I was in my, uh, in 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 my uh, postdoctoral time, uh, I had huge fights with my colleagues on on this refugee issue. Huge, and they were all leftists. They were driving me crazy. I mean, back then I was so ignorant. I didn't know this leftist, rightist, all this stuff. I didn't know any of it. I was like, "This guys, those people are like different. How are you just bringing all these numbers here?" I mean, it's basic statistics. If if you get 100 people here, you can change them maybe. But if you get 1 million, they will affect the population here. This is like, you're scientists. How, how can you accept this? And they start making these cliches uh, of answers. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, like the best argument that I heard one of one of them, which is not true, but is just the best because it was honest, was that those people will help in pension payment. Those people will help in pension payments? Yes, this guy was worried. that. <laughs> <coughs> so the people like from the low were... IQ countries exactly. and from a fairly hostile ideology who don't exactly. bother learning German mm -hmm. and yes. who kind of look down on you if they're Muslim. They would look down at non-Muslims yes. as being somewhat inferior, if not the enemy. That's yeah. certain flavors of yeah. Islam. Those yeah. people are going to be just fantastic for paying your pensions. Yes, yes, yes. And the funny thing is that, I mean, he was always, this guy was always coming back at me and telling me, hey, why are you any different? Why don't you think of them as you? And I was like, dude, I came here in two years. I left my religion. I abandoned everything I had for like 25 years. I mean, do you really see everyone doing that? And it, he would not understand this difference. I mean, I, I, I don't give wait, a shit Wait, wait, so he doesn't understand that certain regions might have different belief systems and different people. So I guess everyone yeah. in Germany is a Nazi, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then, because, you know, it's Germany. So everyone has to be the same. Oh. He, he was, uh, by the way, he, he, he was on the verge of calling me Nazi a few times. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean. Uh, the only That's what happens when they like, run out of facts and arguments that work is yes, they just go to... Yes. Uh, Pulling the uh, the uh, Nazi bomb and rolling it under your tent, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, he, he, I think he just didn't say it because of professional courtesy or something. Well, listen. I mean, in defense of the Germans, right? So there's been this great void of understanding in the modern world. So there used to be this instinctual understanding about differences between races and cultures and so on, and people couldn't always explain it very well. But a lot of it had to do with, for instance, the, they used to say in the 19th century, well, we're Christians and Christianity is good and non-Christian religions 
are not good, right? I mean, that's the basic argument. Now, when the West kind of lost Christianity, then it kind of lost any reason to be, quote, prejudiced or discriminatory against other ethnic, cultural, or religious groups, yeah. right? Now, yeah. the answer as to how a secularist or an atheist is able to have, I mean, it's hard, is it a negative judgment or an accurate judgment of another group, is to look at the basic science, at, at brain size, at white matter, at IQ tests, at inbreeding, as you know, is a huge issue with um, cousin marriages and so on, knocking uh, 10 yep. points or yep. more off the IQ of the population. So if you're not going to have the Christianity as a way of saying our group good, their group not necessarily bad, but certainly not compatible. If you don't have the Christianity, then what you do is you go to the science. You go to the brain science. You go to all yes. of this kind of stuff. And you look at, you know, regression to the mean, all that kind of good stuff. And then you yeah, can yes, say, okay, uh, well, Germany is a very high IQ country. Bringing in people who have a low IQ, and IQ seems to be enormously genetic. Like by the time you're 18, 80% of your IQ is genetic. So that is a big problem at the same time as we are – beginning to automate lots of tasks and there's AI and there's yes. big robots doing Absolutely. all that. We need fewer and fewer low-skilled people. So bringing in people who have a low IQ and nobody knows how to budge that in a, a yeah. population, nobody knows how to change that at all, well, that's a bad idea. That's just not going to work. So if you're not going to have the Christian shield, we're Christian, they're non-Christian or anti-Christian, therefore, there's no compatibility. You might say, well, we're a high IQ society and this is a low IQ group, and nobody knows how to change it, it is effectively yes, permanent, yes. like Jason Richwine has studied the Hispanic IQ issue in the United States, and he's tracked it, I think, for three or four generations. It's kind of permanent. It doesn't change. doesn't budge. Mm -hmm. You don't get this yes, magic yes. rise in IQ just because you touch a Western country's soil. There's no magic IQ-boosting soil pixies that go up your nose and start putting extra hamster wheels between your ears. And so in Germany, they can't say... <clears throat> well, we're Christian, and they're not Christian, so our souls are saved, and their souls aren't, and their religion is, is not good compared to Christianity. They don't have that shield anymore because they're so yes. relentlessly secular. But at the same mm -hmm. time, they're being denied the basic science of brain size and, and gray matter and white matter and IQ and all that kind of stuff. And so they don't have the scientific or evolutionary reason to say, let's question this. So then the only reason, the only, and this is all by design. Right, So the, the left strip away Christianity so you don't have yes. your own in-group preference as a Christian, and then they attack anyone who talks about ethnic IQ differences. So then you don't even have the – you don't have the religion, you don't have the science as a barrier to say not so good. And then all, you, all you're left with is, uh, I guess I'm – Racist? <laughs> you know, that, that's all, that's all you have. Once you don't have the religion and once you don't have the science, the only thing you can have left is some irrational in-group preference that's kind of cold and tribal and bad, which the left has, but they don't want anyone else to have. It's quite brilliant. So that's why once they dismantle Christianity, they attack anyone who talks about ethnic IQ differences so that you have no defense against this kind of bad decisions. Yep. Uh, and uh, I have to say that I didn't know any of the scientific evidence of the IQ stuff back then. Uh, this is like three years ago. But my argument was uh, that those people are different. They have a different culture. I mean, those people, like, my, my simplest argument was that those people would attack a girl in the street and blame her for her clothes. I mean, how could you get such a culture here? I mean, regardless of, of IQ, which is true, regardless of all this complicated stuff. And by the way, I brought the uh, no, I did not bring it, but I the guy 
once was discussing with me and he was like waiting for me to say anything about genetics to attack me. And, and I don't bring arguments that I don't understand. So I didn't bring that argument. I didn't say anything about genetics, but I, I, I expect that if I would have, <laughs> if I would have mentioned that he would have eaten me alive. Like. <laughs> well, then, then of course, in, even if we say it's got nothing to do with genetics and IQ, the inbreeding is a significant issue. The inbreeding yes. is harmful yes, yes. to intelligence. And so even yeah, if you I'm say a- the genetics are identical, the inbreeding uh, makes it uh, kind of a non-starter as far as long-term yeah, integration absolutely. goes. Let me, let me tell you this little story. My aunt is married to her cousin. She has five kids. Yeah, two of whom are insane. And one of them cannot walk properly. And the other two are okay. Yeah. No, I mean, this, this is, is a funny thing, story. too, because, I you know, the, the left is continually attacking the South. Because the left, the South is Christian, the South is militaristic, and the South is um, is very patriotic, and so the left has to continually attack yeah. the South. And what do they always talk about when it comes to the South? Inbred hicks. That's what they always talk about. My sister, brother, cousin, wife. You know, my sister wives, and like they're always making fun of the South for inbreeding, yes, it's, it, it's even not though based, it's not it's really it's not inbred. But that. boy, you look at other cultures yeah. where inbreeding is not only acceptable but considered kind of positive. And it's like, well, we got to embrace that, you see. And this is a funny thing, too, because when it, you talk about integration, I would say that, the, I mean, you'd have, to, you'd have to give the West at least 200 years of anti-racism, 200 years of anti-racism, because Wilberforce was in the 19, sorry, 1830s, was beginning his arguments, abolitionism started at the turn, really kind of gained momentum at the turn of the... 19th century. So we're talking, give or take, you know, just, just rounding up a little bit. 200 years of anti-racism in the West. And boy, they put a lot of work into it, right? You know, like, I mean, the, the anti-racism, uh, we got 800,000 people in America, men, of course, almost exclusively men, uh, died in most horrible conditions during the Civil War, which the general story is that it was around slavery and so on, that the untold amount of blood and treasure that the British Empire spent to eradicate and eliminate slavery around the world was enormous. So uh, in terms of anti-racism, it has been a giant project in the West for 200 years. And the the, the left has really amped it up since the 1960s. And hang on, let me finish. And so after 200 years of anti-racism, 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 what does the left think of Western countries. Well, it thinks of Western countries that they are hopelessly racist, that racism is unfixable, that racism can't be solved, that racism is endemic, obviously, of course, to white people. Nobody else seems to be racist because racism. And after 200 years of hammering at people to not be racist, they still consider white culture to be hopelessly racist. You could say basically the same thing for sexism, maybe 150 years for sexism and so on. And so to the point where, if you look at the sort of 60 plus million people who voted for Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton said half of them are deplorables, racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, and so on. So you still have 30 million people, uh, at least in America, that are considered to be hopelessly retrograde after 200 years. You still have 30 million people. Yet somehow these same people who say, after 200 years of working on white people, White people are still hopelessly racist and sexist and patriarchal and blah, blah, blah. But don't worry, 
we can fix the Islamic immigrants with a pamphlet, a lecture, and about 12 minutes. And it's like, ah, I don't really think that makes a lot. If white racism and sexism is so intractable, even though whites for at least 60, 70 years have been saying racism and sexism is bad, how are you going to solve all these Middle Eastern migrants who don't even think that their beliefs are wrong at all? Yes, yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a catastrophe because it has become emotional and uh, like, uh, I mean, they don't use, I mean, if I'm a president or something or, some, or someone's power and I want to get all these people in, I will do a study. I will try to understand the implications. But what, what Merkel did is insane. Open the borders, let everyone in. Like, like. No, she, I mean, she, she, listen, Samer, you, you know as well as I do. She hates the Germans. Like the, the yeah, white well, Germans. Okay. She, and this is true, I think, of the rulers in Europe in general. I don't think anybody really gets just how much they hate the whites. Why? In Europe. Why, why, why? why do they hate the whites in Europe? Yes, yes. It's a, it's a fine question. But I'll tell you this. If I was hopelessly corrupt and the ruler of a country, I get pretty fucking sick of the population too. I get pretty fucking sick of the voters who whine and who complain and who always want something for nothing. And the moment you tell them the truth, they get mad at you and vote you out of office. The moment you dare bring a tiny little beam of sunlight into the darkened, idiotic, medieval, stone-dead brain of your average voter, they react like a vampire with garlic crosses and sunlight and run screaming in the opposite direction and vote you out of office immediately. So it's a little tiring. Whereas if you are, if you want to be a politician, how quickly do you learn how to lie to everyone? How quickly do you learn to promise things to people with no plan? on how you're actually going to deliver them. I mean, how often do you stand up there at a podium and you say, well, I'm going to give you free this and I'm going to give you free that and you're going to have extended this and we're going to get more funding for this and we're going to give you extended maternity leave and free daycare and blah, 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 right? And all of these stupid voters sitting there like empty-headed vampire baby bird beak widening give me half-chewed-up worm and call it food, the voters just, like a bunch of trained seals, cheering. Whereas if you say, we've lived on the debt too long, we've got to solve things, we've got to fix things, we're going to have to cut back like crazy, people won't want to listen. Oh, you're evil, you're bad. We're going to go back to the guy who's just giving us endless sugar with no dentistry of the future. Yes, yes. You I, must I, get so the... sick of these voters who are so yes, stupid yes. for the most part that anyone yes. who comes along and says... Uh, this system is really not working. Uh, there's no plan to make it work. And we've really got to start making some hard decisions because resources are not infinite. And uh, human desires may be infinite, but resources are very finite. So we've got to figure some stuff out. We've got to reevaluate things. The welfare state is not working. The uh, fatherless families are not working. Anti-racism is not working. Positive discrimination in forms of affirmative action is not working. Uh, government schools are not working. And the moment you say, well, you know, we should introduce just a few cracks of voluntarism into these herded around gun to the head interactions like taxes and regulations and government services and so on, people go completely insane. They call you a Nazi and they destroy your political career, if not attempt to destroy your personal life completely. Right. And so, I, you know, as far as watch the politicians, think and feel about the average voter, I can't imagine 
how much contempt and eye-rolling they must do in private. Because in private, they're like, oh, yeah, this is not going to work at all. But you can't go out and say that to the voters because this mindless herd will tear you limb from limb if you bring one fact a year to their attention. This is one of the reasons I think uh, capitalism and democracy are incompatible. Because one of them will kill the other. I, I, this is how I, I think of it now. And, uh, you know, another point is, uh, you know, it, it surprises me because Merkel had huge, tremendous support before she did, she did her stupid move in 2015. I mean, she really had huge support. And now all the support we see for the AFD, this just started recently. It's not like, uh, it's, it's not been there like uh, five years ago. So well, and we all know for, we all know the migrants uh-huh. aren't going to leave peacefully, even if uh, the AFD get in. And they say, "Well, we, you know, sorry, bad mistake, guys. You're going to have to go back." It's like, well, I guess you've now backed Germans into a corner which they haven't inhabited for seventy odd years. But that's where you've left them because they're either going to have to knuckle under and comply with the migrants' demands, or they're going to have to escalate force to the point where they can get the migrants out, and it's going to be a big bloody mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. And uh, so many people have become dependent on the state that they don't like to see the state as coercive. You know, like the the woman who's married to the mob boss doesn't want to watch him doing a hit, right? Because she just wants to think the money's magically flowing in from his construction companies. All right. So tell me a bit about your history with with Islam and what happened. You said it was just two two years ago? Yeah, no, uh, I... uh... I started uh, my uh, well. I I stopped praying in 2010. Like there was one day, I said, "Okay, something is wrong here. I'm not going to pray anymore." I was I was a regular player prayer for years, so I decided to stop and I stopped and started investigating. And back then, I was really ignorant. I didn't know evolution. I didn't know Big Bang. I didn't know anything. And this is like the kind of scientific background these countries put you in. I mean, these things are not discussed. I mean, how did the universe come to existence? God. How do creatures exist? God. <laughs> or let's say Allah, how, how do they say it? So basically I was under this. And then when I came to Germany, I was in a free society. So um, I, I, was, I was really religious, but I was not uh, dogmatic. I was always ready to be proven like wrong i was happy for that although there's always this religious uh, stubbornness but i was always happy to listen to the other uh, side so i went uh, to germany i started talking to people and i started to see neutrality around me because you know peer pressure really does a lot when you see everyone around you agrees with you on every nonsensical idea you think about and it's not that the idea is right or wrong. It's just that the idea supports that religion. This is how it works. So I go to Germany. I start discussing with people. And my first uh, experience with atheists was during my master's thesis. I went to this office with three other people who like, or three other people, yes, three, four, four other people around me. And all of them were atheists. All of them. And we always used to have these discussions, and uh, they're they're leftists for sure. And uh, they were just challenging me on the ideas I was uh, posing. And I was like, at some point, I would fail. And when I fail, I would research. And when I research, I would find catastrophes. And basically, what uh, what made me start like questioning Islam really was this uh, joke called uh, "scientific miracles" or something like that. I don't know how to translate this in, in English. 
but it's basically uh, science is the Quran. Where, like, uh, for example, they say the Quran said how uh, embryos are developed in uh, in the wombs of mothers or whatever, and then you, it's like it's ridiculous. It's like three or four verses that doesn't don't explain anything, and they are up to interpretation to a very high level, and then people interpret them in, in a certain way that makes it uh, correct. And then when you dive into this, you find it's wrong. You find it's wrong according to all the explanations that the official explanations of of the Quran. You read them and it's uh, it's incorrect. I mean, what can you do? It's like it doesn't work out. And uh, there's even many other problems in the Quran, like with the science, because I was a scientist back then. Like, uh, so that's where you're most familiar, right? Exactly, and uh, I mean, if you if you look at those uh, people like Hamzat Sources, you know him, I think. If you look at how he debates other people, he goes to Lawrence Krauss, for example, and he starts. He does not. Lawrence Krauss is a physicist, right? He's a professor. He does not talk to him about physics. He talks to him about Arabic language, and he goes to other scholar who is good at the language, and he talks to him about science. And this is like this was like the, the, the this is how all people who are all uh, like people who understand science believe in Islam is that they catch other fields that they don't understand and ignore their field. And I I, I did not accept to do that. So I started researching this uh, the, the scientific background of Islam and uh, whether it makes sense. And everything starts falling apart. Like not not a single claim that's made by this religion is correct from a scientific point of view. Not a single one. And I was like desperately looking for any, like, come on. And uh, eventually uh, you, you find very hard evidence that not only it's vague, but it's also incorrect. And then you start asking people, and whenever you start asking people, you get many responses that vary from being attacked to uh, like, uh, hey, ask the very understanding people. And then you fall into this dilemma Okay, is the religion simple or not? If it's simple, then I should understand it. I don't need to ask 15,000 people until I find one interpretation that may be compatible with whatever I understand. If it's simple, that's that has to happen. It's If it's complicated, then this is not for all humans. I, you know, all these dilemmas. And then, then, then it just doesn't work out. And one day I, I watched uh, this show that explained one verse and uh, this one of the of the uh, embryo development and explained in very deep detail like with like with uh, I'm, I'm not a doctor i'm not uh, well i'm a doctor i'm, I'm not a, i'm not a physician so explained in very deep detail how it's strong and that was the point where i broke like uh, that's it i'm, I'm going to stop i'm not going to pray anymore until this thing clears out and then from that day everything i research everything i, I read just supports like Leaning towards atheism, and back then, back then I was a deist. I think not an atheist because there's a big void that is left after you leave religions. And uh, over time, I learned all this science, like evolution, Big Bang, and uh, you just see all this, and you start becoming like objective more and more. And eventually, like one and a half years after that, I, I declared that I'm an atheist. That's it. I'm done. Right. There is no way this makes any sense. And everyone is open to discuss this with me. And uh, yeah, that's basically a summary of all that. 
Did um, because you know one of the things that troubles me about, I guess, the Middle East and non-Christian religions is the lack of universalization or the lack of universality for moral obligations. So in Islam and in Judaism, there is a higher obligation to your fellow Jews and Muslims as opposed to, I mean, I know there's more respect for people of the book as a whole, but Mm -hmm. for Christianity, it's thou shalt not kill. And that was a change from the original, which was thou shalt not kill other Jews. In other words, the moral obligations were for people of the religion, but the moral obligations did not extend in the same way to people outside the religion. So, for instance, uh, as far as I understand it, if you're Muslim, you can um, choose to tell the truth to a non-Muslim, but you're not obliged to tell the truth to a non-Muslim. Probably. I mean, uh, the problem here with these uh, moral obligations that they range from their source. I mean, if it comes in the Quran, it's up to interpretation. Yeah, I mean, people would say this would mean this, would mean that, and you'll not be done, but most likely it will be taken. And this includes, like, for example, the right of Muslims to uh, insult and humiliate non-Muslims when they take money from them. I don't know what that money was called. I forgot the word. Uh, oh, this, so is, uh, this is the, um, the, the tax that yeah, can be like imposed that. upon non-Muslims. Is that right? Exactly. You are you are to insult them. And even though it's written in official explanations of the Quran that this is what it means, some scholars, some Islamic scholars came and made made new interpretations that this means just that you have to be uh you have to respect the, the state, something like this. So you see, it's there's always this game. And then after Quran you have hadith, which is basically what Muhammad has said. And uh, this has too many levels of credibility. It's like there's uh, the correct, which is they call sahih, and there's uh, ba'if, which is weak, and there's uh, mawdu'ah, which is uh, like uh, not belie- not believed or so. And and like everyone believes what whatever they want. It's not like there's a universal standard for people to believe it. It's like if they like some hadith, they ignore the source and the credibility. And if there's something they don't like, the first thing they ask you, hey, what's the credibility of this? And then, I mean, I can give you an, uh, an example. When I was in, uh, during my postdoctoral uh, period, there was, there were pamphlets put in the menza in the, in the restaurant of the university, in the cafeteria, pamphlets about Islam, how it encourages knowledge. And there's this saying that Muhammad said that um, um, uh, something like something in the lines of uh, uh, seek knowledge from uh, from the crib to the to to death or something like this, and it's not true. He did not say that, and like all official Islamic literature, confess that he did not say that. Why are you using this in a pamphlet? You see. So there's not like a universal way to deal with this stuff and people don't research. And when you, when you like, when you want to see what people decide, like when you look at ISIS, ISIS basically, ISIS is basically the correct Islam because they follow everything to the latter. You see, they do everything their religion tells them with no selection, with no uh, bias in any way. But a normal Muslim would look at this, uh, these scripts and choose whatever he wants. So 
basically, what, what conclusion we come at is about your question, like uh, about the in-group preferences. It's basically what you read and what you prefer and what you want to do and what you don't want to do. You can always disregard something and say, yeah, yeah, this is impossible that Muhammad says something like this. And then you just disregard it. And then, like, it's, it's a cocktail. Like, and, and the problem is there, there's no, you cannot, like, like, say this is right or wrong because people don't care. People don't care as long as you support this religion. It doesn't matter what's right. So it's kind of a soup, really. That, like, there's no way to find the truth and there's no th- central authority in Islam. And it's a, it's a mess. So I cannot say that what he said is not there in Islam because it might be there. But it doesn't mean that everyone will will agree with that because everyone selects the version of Islam they like. Right. And <laughs> and some of the later writings, the I mean, I've heard the argument that some of the later writings supersede or take precedence over the earlier writings. And the earlier writings tend to be more conciliatory, exactly. more peaceful. Exactly. The later writings tend to be more aggressive. And exactly. so you hear a lot of the earlier writings outside mm-hmm. uh, of Islam, but in certain sects, the later writings that are more aggressive have more focus and are considered to be more accurate or core because they're later rather than earlier. Yeah, they, 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 they like delete the earlier version. This is like a concept. It's called Nasikho Mansukh. I don't know how to say this in English, but it's like... When something new comes, it erases whatever comes before. And in Muhammad's history, he has like the first few years in his life, he was weak. He was, he couldn't do anything. And he was only He was not particularly to, uh, successful as a preacher until exactly, uh, he got exactly. just a smidge more aggressive, right? Exactly. And, and uh, all he did back then he, is that he went to these slaves and he uh, <laughs> told them to act uh, against their uh, their uh, owners, or I don't know how to say the word. So when when he did this, everyone turned on him, and then he was fought and kicked out of Mecca. And then after that, he went and collected some uh, some uh, uh, like gangs and uh, made those gangs and went back to Mecca to attack those people. And then after he did that, he became a monster. So the first period when he was weak, everything was about peace. Like, I mean, the word peace was not there, but, but like everything was there. Like, uh, let's be nice. Let's, uh, this is what my God told me. But then when he, bec- when he becomes strong and powerful, everything was deleted from before. And then we have a new era. A monster, you said. T- tell me more. Yes. I mean, um, there are too many stories like, uh, this uh, very famous story of Bani Koraiva. I don't know if you heard the story, but he basically claimed that uh, some uh, bosses, um, like there's this tribe and they have uh, their leader who, uh, who like, they, they did some act of treason. I don't know what they did, like whatever it is. And uh, because of that, he went to that uh, tribe and they, he killed them all. And we're talking about over 500 people. What, on his own? Person. What? On his own? Sorry. Yeah, well, he and his uh, army. Ah, okay, okay. He took the army, and when the, he, made, he made a warfare, and he, like, uh, it remained for a few days, and then he went in, and just basically, because the leaders did something wrong, he killed everyone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean what, what, what kind of piece is that? Okay, if, he, if you're not happy with whatever those leaders did, just don't kill everyone. Just kill the leaders. Well, he and uh, some some aggression towards Jews, if I remember rightly, as well. 
Yeah, actually, I think those were Jews. Yeah. I, I don't remember really. This was a long time ago in recent years because I, I had a period in my life where I, I even had a Facebook page. Of, like I, I wasn't like telling those stories and discussing this stuff. My Facebook page was because Facebook is pro-Islam. My our page was like closed fifteen hundred times, so we gave up eventually. Like it, it's pointless. Whenever we reach twenty thousand members or something, they would just shut us shut us down, and we would start over. Hmm. So, like I back then, I had all this information. Now it's fading away because I don't care anymore. Now I have my life, my my family, and uh, it's over. It's decided. Like <laughs> right, uh, right. Uh, when I when I want to debate someone, I can open references and and show them. Like you know. And was your wife, uh, is your wife also an atheist? Was that a journey she went with you on or is it something different? Well, when I first knew her, she was uh, a Muslim and uh, I was very cool and like, uh, I I did not like attack her or something. I was like, uh, I I avoided talking about religion. And then uh, I I remember the first encounter was about this topic was she asked me whether I was fasting, it was Ramadan. And uh, I told her, let's not talk about this. And she pressured me. I told her, I told her, no, I'm not fasting. She told me why. I told her because it's harmful. You should not be fasting. It's bad for you. And she like Googled the first website and took the first page, uh, like the website that says, hey, the, uh, fasting is uh, very beneficial for you. And she sent that me that link. And I told her, come on, I'm, I'm a scientist. You're thinking sending me a random link, really? And I told her, okay, if you get me some really like peer-reviewed study that shows that fasting and like not drinking, I mean, okay, I'm okay with not eating food. That's helpful. But if you show me a scientific study that showed me, like shows that not eating for 12 and not drinking for 12 hours is good for you, I will definitely do it <laughs> every day, not only in Ramadan. And she was, she wasn't able to do that. And uh, that was the, the first day. And so there was always these, uh, Discussions like, uh, why don't you do this? It's not good. Show me. She would look for references. She would find, not find any. And also, on the other, on the other side, uh, she would, uh, if there's something she is not convinced of, she would ask me. I would show her the evidence, and that's it. So she was a reasonable person, and I liked her about, uh, liked that about her. So she left, when she left Syria and came here, she was like on the verge of being atheist. She came here, she was a deist. Sometime, and I think now she doesn't believe in any of that crap. I don't know if she's an atheist. She's atheist, exactly. But honestly, I don't care. I mean, whether you're atheist, deist, whatever, most important thing for me is not to believe in that harmful uh, nonsense. Otherwise, uh, I don't care, honestly, with, with anyone, any relationship I have. As long as you don't impose this stuff on me, I'm fine. Well, and the kids, right? I mean, as long as the kids can yeah, grow exactly. up uh, and decide for themselves uh, as they get older. Absolutely, absolutely. This is a very important part here. Oh, yeah. No, I had to. There's a woman I kind of dated, kind of didn't date, but we got along well, a very smart woman, and she was a Christian, and I was not that strong an atheist back in the day. I hadn't really sort of puzzled it all through myself, but I definitely was not a Christian, and... I do remember saying to her, she, she, we, we, it's funny because we never kissed, we never really dated, but we did talk about what it would be like to be married, which is kind of like an interesting <laughs> uh, anti-Tinder universe thing. But um, And she was like, oh, yeah, I know my mother's religion, my father's an atheist, he just gets to sleep in. 
on Sundays. You know, she takes the kids to church and, and uh, that's what happened with me. And you can just sleep in. Like she was dangling good sleep in front of me like she didn't care, right? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, for me, I think that we don't want to – like when you have kids, you don't want to say, well, atheism is true. You don't want to say religion is true. You want to teach them to think for themselves and then – Exactly. If it, you know, if if my kids grow up and want to become Christian, I'm not sure exactly how or why. Maybe they have a vision. Maybe there's something. Maybe they convince yeah. me. I don't know. Maybe something happens exactly. to me too. But um, I was like, uh, well, let, let you know. I don't want to teach them that it's true when they're young. But if they choose it when they're older, that's. But she's like, no, they have to be told that it's true when they're young. And that was it. And that was kind of the stickling yeah. point. We talked Absolutely. about it a little bit more, and then we just kind of drifted apart because couldn't couldn't negotiate that. Absolutely. This is uh, like, uh, I'm also thinking how to introduce my son about this. Like, <laughs> I mean, he will come and ask me, what is God? And I don't know. Maybe I'll do, like, I'll tell him like, uh, like the, uh, this movie, The Island, you know, this guy asked, uh, asked the, another guy, what is God? And this guy, the first guy is like, he knows nothing. He is uh, copied and he doesn't know anything at all. And the other guy thinks and tell him, you know, when you look at the sky and close your eyes and wish for some, something really, really, really too much. You really wish for that? So it tells him, yeah. And then he responds, God is the guy who ignores you. <laughs> <laughs> God is a dream your heart makes <laughs> or something like that. So, exactly. uh, no, that's very, very interesting. And, you know, good for, good for her. I mean, good for you, obviously. That yep. sounds kind of patronizing. You know, I mean, you're you're a brilliant guy. But good for you for questioning and asking and great for your wife when you say okay give me some proof and she's not like well it's written here in this holy text and, and uh, she actually went to go and look for the scientific uh explanations uh and that's that's admirable that's very cool we wish we could get the yep. leftists to do that as well you know yeah, here's yeah. some data when, when on never... race and iq heretic <laughs> eugenicist racist nazi is like um can you can you maybe just look at the scientific text no <laughs> like they're worse than anyway Worse than most fundamentalists because you ask them to look into the science and they simply won't. Whereas your wife, who's a Muslim, you ask her to look into the science. She's like, yeah, okay, I'll have a look. Yep. You so know, more open-minded, far more open-minded yep, yep. than, than your average leftist. Absolutely. When, when science is the base, uh, the common base, and there's no reason to argue. And uh, either way, I mean, uh, the, the nice thing is that she accepts uh, challenging her thoughts because I know I know people. I have I have another admin in this page where I was. He wanted to marry a Muslim and he insisted on them. Told him, "Hey man, don't do it. You will get. I mean, she will kill you. I mean, uh, she will not. You will not live in peace." And uh, oh, okay. I think he, I, I just want to make sure we're talking about allegorically kill you. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, not like I mean, ISIS kill, you on the sleep or anything, no, right? No, okay, okay. No, no, no. She she will just like she will kill your life. Like uh, she will. Uh, you'll be unhappy so he insisted and he was one of those people that uh, told us hey be nice don't don't uh, curse don't say anything we were like cursing like hell in, in the page and we, we told him uh, no we can't and uh, he didn't listen to us he went went through and basically his wife would be scared of thinking of anything against islam like like you know like she would not it's not like he would give her evidence and she would look at it and say no, but she would not even think about it. She would be too scared to do this. And this is a catastrophe. Imagine like, like God telling you, hey, you have to believe this and you don't even have to think about it. Not even close. If you even come close to thinking about it, I'm going to burn you. This is the thought that this woman had. 
Well, and there is also the punishment for apostasy. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm apostate now. I have to be killed. That's a given. Right. So, <laughs> so the death penalty. See, I mean, I, I stopped becoming a Christian. And uh, people were like, yeah, yeah, all right. You. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. we wish it were different yeah. and all that. But, you know, f follow your own path, young man. Uh, but uh, the, the, the death penalty, that's... Uh, Yes, but, but this is not the reason why they don't think. Because they don't think because they're afraid of uh, the, 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 like, the, the judgment day punishment. Right. Not the apostasy thing. The apostasy thing is like something that comes later. You don't think about that. And, and the, by the way, the end of that story is that they got divorced and uh, she destroyed his life. Like, that's what happens when you pick someone who is not compatible with you. Well, how so, did she destroy his life? Well, uh, it was basically a dark life. I mean, he, he told me that, for example, I would have a problem at work. I would come home and instead of uh, patting on my back and tell me they're there, she would tell me this is what Allah is doing to you because you deserve it, because you're an atheist. Imagine uh, this kind of life. Right. Imagine. <laughs> so a li little bit of a dry well sympathy yeah, desert, I mean, right. I mean, okay. How would you feel that someone loves you if, if he doesn't support you when you have a problem? And every he hold he has this knife at your back whenever something happens he stabs you. I, I don't I can't imagine this kind of life. I mean, well, and it's one thing if every bad thing is punishment, but what if every reward is not given to you, right? Because obviously, yes. he, the God would not reward an atheist. So exactly. hey, I got a raise. It's like it's a temptation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's a temptation when 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 it's good and it's. Uh, a punishment when it's that it's, it's ridiculous. It's hard it's to uh, admire the integrity of a religious person who marries an atheist yep. as well, because it's like, yep. what? She, oh, I guess maybe she's going to save him. I don't know. <laughs> wow. There's a, the, per, per, I think the concept of saving is not in Islam. I don't think it's there. Well, there's, there's conversion, there's right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. That's what he meant. Okay, but because there's a Christianity, this concept of the savior and saving all the stuff. I'm not into Christianity a lot, a lot, but yeah. Well, you see what I'm going with. I think. Right, right. So, <clears throat> tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, the quantum mechanics and quantum field theory argument as to why our universe, as you said, probably doesn't have a creator. Because I hear a lot of people using quantum mechanics like this. Las Vegas strip slate of hand as to how to introduce God into the equation. Uh, but I've not heard it in, in that way used to deny the um, no, universe's well, creation. The thing is, uh, th there's two sides to the equation. First, there's logic and philosophy. You, you know all that. Like, uh, if there's a God, uh, I mean, you need a, universe, uh, a, a God to create the universe. But then if you need a God, why, uh, who created God? But then, if if there is no creator for God, why would you not accept the universe without a creator? Right? This is the logic. This is the simple logic. But then let's come to 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 like, like this is all mathematics, okay? Apart from mathematics, let's talk about physics and mathematics, like evidence, because there's always two sides of the coin. There's logic and there's evidence. So about evidence, let's look, look at this universe when we are, we live in. If you take take like one cubic meter of volume in space outer space between galaxies you look at how many atoms you have there you have like a few atoms maybe three four atoms take them out what do you have left nothing no it's not that nothing if you zoom in if you try to measure like if you try to make this cube smaller and smaller and smaller to the like, like to the atomic size and even smaller and you try to measure the energy of that cube the energy inside that cube 
as a function of time, it's not zero. It's going to be fluctuating all the time. And this is basically a consequence of uh, something called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. So the Heisenberg uncertainty principle can be used in multiple forms. One of them says that in, in, in atomic particles, you can either measure the speed or basically the momentum or the position of a particle. You cannot infinitely accurately measure both. There's an equivalent form of this if you do a simple multiplication that says that you cannot measure energy in a very small period of time. So the smaller the period of time is that you try to measure the energy at, the bigger the, the standard deviation or the variance of the energy measurement you'll get. So it can blow up. And this is actually something that we see experimentally. When you have these beta decays, for example, uh, in particle physics, uh, one step of these uh, decays is that, well, you have a neutron that decays to, uh, you know, to, a, to a beta particle, which is basically an electron, and you have a neutrino and a proton. Well, there's an intermediate step that happens there, and it's necessary. And this step is creating something called a W boson. This W boson has a mass which is 85 times the mass of a neutron. 85 times. Where did this mass come from? This mass came from the uncertainty principle because it's possible. So when you talk about very short periods of time and very small space, energy is undefined. So there's this fluctuation in energy, like there is uh, in, in, in space, energy is not zero. The, the, the smaller the scale you go in, it's small, like the, um, the, the, uh, the, the more, uh, the, the, the more fluctuating it will be. If you want to measure energy very accurately, you have to expand this cube to the size of the universe and measure, uh, like, uh, from the beginning of time to the end of time. You have to sum all these values from the beginning of time to the end of time and over this whole cube. And then you might get zero. The total energy of the universe is zero. And this is basically what they mean when they say the universe is flat. You see? Right. Yeah, does this make does this make sense? Yeah. 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 Okay, so but so it, let's just back up to the sixty-five times, was it? The mass? Uh, eighty-five times. Eighty-five times the mass. Okay. Yes. So isn't this kind of in contradiction to the, th the thermodynamics law that says you, you can't create or destroy matter or energy, you can only transfer them from one to the other? Well, thermodynamics is a classical physics law. It's so correct. it's not applicable at this level, right? Absolutely. Okay. And uh, like, if you, there's something called the uh, what was it, the uh, Ernst theorem, the Ernst theorem that shows that quantum mechanics value, when you take the expectation value, which is basically the uh, average value of, of of any quantum mechanics uh, motion uh, equation, if you take the expectation value of of that, it will give you the classical results, the Newtonian mechanics results. Which means that the uh, which means that quantum mechanics is uh, if it's correct if everything's good and so far we know it's good because it, it works in the lab if it's uh, uh, if it's correct then it is the general case of Newton's uh, Newton laws and all these thermodynamics laws and all this stuff so it's not like it, uh, it it violates them because it's more general not because it's wrong you see 
So what you mean is, because the way I've sort of understand it, and, you know, obviously this is very laypersony, so I appreciate your patience with this, but my understanding of it has been something like this. Some really freaky stuff goes on at the quantum mechanics level, but when you zoom out certainly to the level of the senses, it's all stabilized and equaled out to the point where Newtonian physics or classical physics uh, works yes. at the sense level. Now you zoom in deep enough and some freaky stuff is going on. Uh, but exactly. it doesn't have much – it has it has impacts on the philosophy of science, but it doesn't have impacts on, say, the philosophy of sense data or the philosophy of logic or the philosophy of morals and so on because these things don't happen at the subatomic level. Um, I, I didn't get the last part, but you're right that when you zoom out, yes, it's uh, it's Newtonian laws. When you zoom in, uh, some freaky stuff happens but I didn't well no let me let me give you an example right so in quantum yeah. physics it seems to me that it's possible tell me where i go astray it's been a while since i've read about this stuff but it seems to me it's possible in quantum physics for an entity to be in two places at the same time right well that's uh i don't like it when people put it that way uh um, go go on please correct me where uh, i go astray yeah yeah okay i mean when people say this they 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 uh, basically are exemplifying the uh, the tunneling experiment. The tunneling experiment says that if you have a barrier, an, an energy barrier or any any kind of barrier, and you put an, an electron in one side, there's a probability that the electron is also on the other side. The bigger the barrier, the less the probability is. And basically, the electron is like in both places because there's a probability he's here or there. But it doesn't mean that he's in both places. You see, this is this is my contention to this. Because when you do it, when you do a single measurement, it is in one place. It will localize. You see, but then if you don't measure, you have the wave function in both places, and wave functions, you know, they they're proportional to probability of their presence of the particle's presence. So it's it's but only in both places because we don't know which one is true. It's kind of like uh, this uh, Schrodinger's uh, cat experiment. She's dead and she's alive because we don't know. There's a wave function that explains whatever is happening. But, I mean, it doesn't have to be one state that's true. That, that's the argument. You see that it, the wave function expands in both positions, like before the wall and after the wall. But if we want to view it in the classical way we understand things, it has a single localized position. Then yes, it could be in both, but this is not the way to look at particles because, that, like subatomic particles, are waves basically. Like the wave expands on a, on a big region, and when you look, when you when you measure, it's in one position. You right. See? Oh yeah. So or another way of putting it is, you know, looking at the wall behind me here in the studio. I, I understand at a conceptual level that the wall being atoms, you zoom into atoms and their relationship to each other. It's mostly space. Right, there's, yeah. there's there's not much there, you know. So <laughs> so even the wall behind me is mostly space, and I yeah. myself am mostly space. However, yes. I can't walk through the wall, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that's like two 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 yeah. really spread out nebulae could kind of crash through each other and kind of get. But but you can't walk through a wall, even though at the subatomic level it's mostly empty. Yes, uh, that, that's because it's kind of. Uh... You can think of it as a net. When I told my brother this, he went crazy. Like, how? How is it that like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of percent of everything is empty? So then you can th you can think of two nets clashing into each other. Right. They yeah, because it's the relationship other, between them that you can't pass through as well. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> All yeah. right. So let's get. I appreciate that, and feel free to call back in and 
talk about more of that kind of stuff because I have not talked about that uh, stuff for quite a while on the show and I, I find it fascinating. Okay. So, yeah, the taxes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I got a friend uh, in, in here in Canada who makes some pretty good coin and he says, you know, like I can spend up to this amount and everything I spend over this amount gets taxed at an insane rate. Yeah, well, in Germany, you get some under 600 euros. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, the same thing with the Beatles. Euros. The Beatles were paying 95% taxes when they were oh my God. in- Oh, yeah. No, this is, there's a song, right? I think George Harrison wrote it called The Tax Man. That's one for you, 19 for me, right? That's because it's 5%. They were paying 95%. Yeah, oh, my God. And the same thing. This is why Queen ended up uh, as tax exiles in Switzerland. And this is why uh, Bono, right, from, from, the, uh, the, from U2- it was very much around, well, we've got to help the third world and we, you know, I want a big government and I'm kind of a socialist, but he doesn't want to pay the taxes associated with it. He'll bug out as quickly as possible yeah. and try and hide his money. Uh, you know, tax avoidance, not a, ev evasion, but uh, yeah, he'll do whatever he can to avoid paying his taxes because uh, it's, a, it's, it's a mess. And I also know a guy when I was younger who got a raise and ended up paying more in taxes. In other words, he got a raise oh my God. and he ended up with less take home. I think they fixed some of that stuff more recently, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. I, I think it's uh, it, they fixed it with progressive tax. You know, you know what? I'm happy with um, like paying twenty um, percent uh, of whatever I get in a flat tax. I'm happy with that because I understand there are things that we have to pay for the government, and I know you don't agree, you don't like the government at all. I just disagree with things. you by twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, all. I know. I know I, I've heard your arguments, and I think you might you may be right. And uh, I think like, uh, but twenty is better I, than fifty. No, sure, yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is the point. Like they're unreasonable. They're being unreasonable. I think if they remove welfare, twenty is easy. So, uh, like, like for example, who will fund scientific research? Like uh, there are companies that do that, but uh, like this experiment. Wait, what? You're trying to sell me the government on scientific research? Really? Yes. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Come yes. on. Who, who do you think funded my PhD work? Oh, yeah. No, listen, I get that you have some benefits from the tax system, but then you can't really complain about the migrants who are coming here from benefits for the tax no, system. No, no, now, no, can no, you? Look, here's the lie. I mean, okay, look, look, the argument here is easy. What is the end goal of all this? The end goal is the survival of humanity, the, the betterness of humanity. We want to do better, all of us, right? And how do we do better? I know it's coercion. I know it's wrong. I know, but like, there's no one good right answer because there's all these contradictive like uh, solutions. But then think of the internet. Who did the internet? The government did it in the military. And think of like this. I mean, yeah, and the internet I, has huge problems because it was founded by the government and the military, right? I mean, it's it's unsecure. It's a great way of transmitting viruses. It can be slow and inefficient, and uh, it's subject uh, at the moment, of course, to centralized coercive control because it's not blockchain technology. If we'd waited just a little bit longer, we'd have had an internet that you couldn't well, censor. Blockchain cannot, uh, and uh, that's place. a big problem. And the other thing, too, is the, you can say oh, the government created the internet. No, no, the government created some of the uh, protocols for exchanging information. But it was the capitalists who made the internet user-friendly, who made it something that people could use. Wasn't the military who did the internet? Well, but look, again, but the, so the military created the internet to have a decentralized way of communicating in the event of nuclear war. But without yes. the free market, 
you know, building browsers, building, uh, you know, oh, sure, all of sure. the uh, communications Absolutely. technology, building the personal computers, building the cell phones, yes. the internet sure. would remain something buried in a DARPA lab, right? It was the free sure. market that created the interface that allowed this um, horrible, terrible government technology yeah, yeah, to be used absolutely. in this kind of way. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and I, I don't disagree on that. that Nothing uh, that you and I are using to communicate, my friend, was created by the government. I mean, the underlying sure, protocol, sure. but none of but the hardware or software that we're currently product. using. Correct, correct. And uh, I mean, like I'm talking about this uh, researcher in my uh, PhD. I mean, this research was the, its fundamental physics. The purpose of the experiment is to find out why the, why there's matter in the universe. I mean, yeah, but I'm not. Real, see, here's the thing. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd be kind of curious about you know what happened uh, 12 milliseconds after the Big Bang. I think that's interesting. I'm curious as to about why there's matter in the universe. I'm curious about this, that, and the other. Great. I'm yeah. just not curious enough about it to violate the non-aggression principle. Yeah, you well, know, that's like saying, well, I'm really curious how a date with this woman would go, so I'm going to kidnap her. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> see, you, you can be curious about these things without kidnapping people's money to pay okay, for it. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I see your point. But you see, this is the, the, the thin line here, because there's always fundamental research that's helpful to humanity. But, I mean, who will do it? I mean, if... if well, do if, you care about it? Would you fund it? That's a problem here because I would I mean, like if I fund it like I and fifty other per person, then it can cost us millions. But oh, if we I think it, I understand, Sibir. So you want an agency, you want the government to do what you think is important, but not any of the bad things that it does. No, 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 no. So Look, you want the government like said, to fund science, no, no. but not no, no, fund listen, listen, migrants. Listen, listen. You don't no, get no, no, that listen. choice, I'm afraid. No, no, it's not like this. It's uh, again, like I said, uh, it's not because it's my opinion, but it's because, like, what is the end goal of all this? The goodness of the humanity. I mean, I don't. There are things. There are good things that the government have achieved, whether they're the best or not. Uh, that's like debatable. But I can't see them happening without the government. That's a problem. Yes, but I don't could disagree you, that. Let's say that. So what? So what if you can't see them happening? Why does why does it have to go through your brain what is possible for humanity to achieve? Like, just because you can't imagine it happening certainly doesn't mean it can't happen, right? Well, it didn't happen, like, for, for hundreds of years. When was the last time, I mean, before governments were there, before the 1900s, when was the last time, uh, like, a huge scale of wait, 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 before governments were there? Do you feel that before 1900 we live in an anarcho-capitalist paradise? I'm not sure I quite follow this. Okay, maybe that's not the best argument. There seemed down. to be quite a lot of government uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, uh, let, if let, I remember let, rightly. Let's flip it, it the other way around. Only the government made such big-scale experiments. You mean like population replacement in Europe? Yeah, that is a very big yeah, experiment. Uh, and you, you want science-funded, you get the other stuff too. You get war, uh, but, you get debt, you get vote-buying, you get corruption, you get population replacement, you get uh, fiat currency, you get all of the but, family but, but courts, then, you get all – like you can't just pick and choose, right? I mean, of course the government's going to – you know those angler fish that like really deep in the ocean and they hold that little light over and then the fish, ooh, there's light, it's pretty, right? So I'm telling you, Sam, the government will always dangle something over you that, that you want want oh science yeah, oh physics oh that's and they're like that's yes that's yes samir come to the dark side we have physics here and come to the dark side and we'll fund your pet projects and then boom 
All right, now your wife's getting molested every time she walks down the street. Why? Because you wanted science, didn't you? But you didn't get science. You got migrants. Why can't, uh, why can't we fix the bad things? I keep the good Because it's the government. <laughs> it's the it's government. The so once, once you give people the power to strip half the wealth out of a country, they're going to do what they want to do with it, not what you want to yeah, do I, with I, it. I can't argue with that. I absolutely can't argue with that. And this is a problem because I wish there's a solution where like there's like where we can make like an authority that's not as crazy as I, there the is. Nowadays. There is. It's called voluntarism. It's called the free market. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can't argue with that really, but, but uh, like I, I, I have not seen that working before. That's what scares what me. What do you mean? How are we talking if not the free market? No, uh, I mean, I, I have not seen that before. Like, uh, I have not seen uh, individuals come together and fund a $50 million project by themselves. But how do you know that that $50 million science project is the best thing to do? No, there's no way to know that. Yeah. Now, if and you want to fund it I mean, and you the, want to raise money, fantastic, fund, right? By the way, the government does not choose what uh, experiments to fund, just by the way. There, there's, a, there's an institution that is full of scientists that chooses that just just pointing that out but wait a I minute mean, wait uh, a minute were you saying the government doesn't have an influence over what is studied they do have an influence absolutely. you think why do you think but people aren't care. studying the genetics of intelligence across ethnicities yeah because you know that's kind of the number one question in the world today because we're trying to jam all these ethnicities together and saying hey everyone's gonna Get along just famously, and the one thing you'd want to know is how genetic are the IQ differences between ethnicities? Because if they're genetic, we can't change them. Absolutely. And so right. that would be the number one thing if the oh, government was sensible. Right. And right. like, that would be you're, the number right. one thing to study. As far as the origins of the universe, I don't really care that much. I care about the end of Western civilization, which might be imminent yeah. a little bit more than what happened 14 billion yeah, well, years ago or something, right? Yeah, well, probably if we understand the so no, it's very political. It's very political. Absolutely, no, absolutely. I, I can see that's why that, string right. theory is still kicking around. <laughs> Don't well, worry, it's about to become useful, just like stem cell research. It's about to become useful. It's about to become, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's it's a complicated problem. I don't. No, have it's an not a complicated problem. Don't use force to get what you want. Here's the interesting thing, Zebra. You left yeah. Islam more easily than you're leaving statism. I, I, the, the problem is that I, I tend to find to solve problems more than, more than like uh, lashing out available solutions. This is how I deal with everything I have. I can't just say there's a right button, press it. No more government. I, I'm not sure it's going to work out. It's quite scary. No, no, but, but because I, listen, I agree with I you. I agree with you. It's scary. But you also said that when you left religion, there was a void, right? Yes, and and sure. absolutely, when we leave something like the state as a as a valued concept, it is a step into the dark for sure. It is a step off a cliff, hoping that paradise awaits you below, and it does feel very strange and very unusual. But this yes. was the same thing when people said, uh, "Let's end slavery." They didn't yes, know what right. was coming next. When people well, said, right. uh, "Let's not have a monarchy," they didn't know what was coming next. And so, when we make these steps forward, they are challenging but here's let me make a case to you from a physics standpoint right (laughs) so you know the ptolemaic system way back in the day where they tried to explain the motions of the planets and of the sun while having an earth-centered solar system right 
And they had to explain this retrograde motion of Mars, right? Because being on the inside rim of the orbit, Earth goes around the sun faster than Mars. So at some point, Mars appears to go backwards, right? And so they created all these circles within circles. And, and as their observations got more complete and correct, the Ptolemaic system got more and more complicated and unwieldy. And then what happened was people said, well, I wonder maybe if just the sun is the center of the solar system. And when they did that, everything fell into place. Or yes. to take a more modern yes. example, they used to believe in all of the ether, right? This ether in the 19th century yes. was considered to be the stationary goo through which everything moved and so on. Yeah. And then uh, Einstein came along and said, okay, I got a crazy notion here. Let me just, let me just run it past everyone. What if the speed of light is just constant no matter what? Yes. And, and people were like, well, that's just crazy, <laughs> right? And, and yet, <laughs> when you make the speed of light constant, just as if you make everything the, the sun, the, it, everything just, boom, falls into place and works out, right? Yes, yes. What if we just make the non-aggression principle the same as the sun at the center of the solar system? What if we just make the non-aggression principle the same as the speed of light is constant? Everything will fall into place and make sense. And you say, well, oh, right. what happens if we accept that the speed of light is constant? It's like it doesn't matter. What matters is, is the speed of light constant? They say, well, what happens if we accept the non-aggression principle and universalize it, which erases the moral legitimacy of the state? Say, well, what happens? It doesn't matter. What matters is, is it true? Is it moral? Is it valid? And we all accept in our personal lives that the non-aggression principle is valid. We don't walk around beating people up to get what we want. We don't around raping people. uh, And we just say, okay, what if our personal life, what if the morals of our personal life are truly universalized? Ooh, it may look weird. In the same way that nothing in Einsteinian physics or Newtonian physics or quantum physics denies our personal experience. You know, I am falling towards the earth, but the earth is also falling a tiny bit up towards me more if I've had Indian food for lunch. And that is nothing in physics contradicts our personal experience. We simply take our personal experiences, extrapolate them to find universal laws. And it's the same thing with morals. If we take our personal hostility and contempt and disgust with the initiation of the use of violence and simply externalize it and universalize it, yeah, the universe looks very different, just as it did to people who put the sun at the center of the universe, just as people who no longer believe in God, and just as people who accepted that the speed of light was constant, the universe looks very different. And quantum physics makes the universe look very different. The question isn't what happens afterwards. The question is, is it true? Now, if it's true, to hell with what happens afterwards. We simply have to accept the truth. No, you're right. Uh, it's, uh, I bought what he said once he said that uh, this void is maybe something I'm scared of. You're right. It's uh, something new. It's something uh, that may be better, but without experiencing it, we won't know. You're right. About yeah, that. you're still on better. Like, would you say to, if Einstein comes along, like you're in the 1920s, Einstein comes along and says the speed of light is constant, and you say, well, I don't know if that makes things better. And you'd be like, well, that's the wrong, that's the wrong question. The question is, is it true? Correct. Correct. In terms of what makes things better, is is the non-aggression principle valid and true and universal? Well, I've got this book called Universally Preferable Behavior where I make the case that it is. And I think it stands. I know that it stands. So it is true. And so what happens afterwards, whether it makes things better or worse, we can't know any of that. All we can do is evaluate what is true and moral. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the one thing uh, I, I don't understand about the non-aggression principle, what about nationalism? I mean, how do, how are we going to protect the country? Are we going to have a capitalistic army also? Or, like, who's going to protect the car, uh, country from 
whoever, wh- well, first of all, first of all, Samir, who's protecting you now? Do you feel protected now? Well, you're being forced to pay for dangerous people to come in and harass. No, I mean on a bigger scale. I mean, if if uh, Russia goes crazy like it always does and decides to, okay, I'm going to invade Germany. I mean, it could be much worse than whatever we have now, right? And uh, I mean, there, there's a German army that prevents that. And I mean, where where is that going to come from if there is no government? I'm just asking. Generally, no, I understand. Really, What's I, the German army doing right now? Right I, now, the German army. And the German, let's just say the German enforcement agencies, what are, they, uh, what are they doing right now? What they're doing right now is arresting people for hate speech and anyone who doesn't pay their taxes so that they can pay for what looks a hell of a lot like population replacement from the third world. So right now, the Germans are not being protected. They are, in fact, being endangered. So yeah. the great myth of the state is it's working now. Show me something better. It's not working now. How well yeah. were the people dependent on the Roman Empire? How well were they served when the Roman Empire fell? Mm-hmm. It's not being served right now. Now, as far as how you could have protection of a geographical region without a state, I just did a conversation on this with Dave Smith. Uh, you can find it uh, online it's called Immigrant mm-hmm. Derangement Syndrome. And I've also mm-hmm. got some free books, uh, Practical Anarchy and uh, Everyday Anarchy, which talk about free market solutions to things that you're talking about, and hopefully they will help. But the fundamental thing is it doesn't matter what happens afterwards. It matters that we do the moral thing. We do the right thing. Nobody knows how – nobody knows how the cotton gets picked after you end slavery. And anybody who pretends to know is is lying to you. I don't know how all of these things would be – solved by the free market. But right now, um, do you you think that – let's say that Putin did invade Germany, right? Do you yes. think that Putin would have invited 800,000 Muslims into the country? No. So, so. kind of hard to see how Putin would be worse than Merkel, right? Well, maybe he would take us slaves. <laughs> he would make us all slaves then and then I it's worse. Don't I don't think so. I mean, they didn't even do that in, in the Soviet Union. Okay, so here's the, the, let's do the big question. And it's a great conversation. Yeah. I really appreciate you calling it. But let's do the big question, which is what do you yeah. do? Where do you go? Yeah. So I would say this. <laughs> as long as you have reasonable protections for your freedom of speech, stay and mm-hmm. fight. Yeah. The moment that uh... you simply cannot, with any safety or security, make a case for the improvement upon your society, try to get to a place where you can. Yeah, I mean, the, the question here basically is where do I go? Because like all, all Western countries, I've become crazy. Like, really, when I think about this... Uh, sure. I mean, no, listen. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, because that, that case was made in the intro. Yes, countries are going crazy. And as long as we have freedom of speech, we can do one of two, three things. There are three things that can happen. Number one, we can fix it. So we simply make the case. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm not religious, but I'm on my knees praying for people who are working on the genetics of intelligence. Because right now, my show is kind of in the wilderness, then we can, and there'll still be an upward battle because there are still people who deny evolution despite the fact that it's overwhelmingly supported by science and all. But for the most part, you can start having intelligent conversations about ethnicity and IQ and intelligence genetics once the genes have been mapped and proven and the Chinese are working very hard on this and so on. So who's going to have credibility when the science catches up to what seems to be pretty evident to 
just about everyone who studied this in any open-minded way. Well, what's going to happen is the people who were talking about it, who then are validated by the science, are going to have a great deal of credibility. And that credibility is going to spread to other things. Also, being speaking about it ahead of the curve takes a significant amount of courage. Like there's a lot of people I know privately who know about ethnicity and IQ, but who won't talk about it because they're afraid of being attacked and, and so on, right? So having the courage to talk about an essential issue, and I couldn't look at the camera knowing what I know and pretend I didn't know what I know, it would be a shameful and, and uh, humiliating thing for me to do. It would be the word cuck is, is like one atom of the nuclear bomb of shame that that would produce within me and a, a, betraying of, a betrayal of the audience who pays me to speak the truth. So mm -hmm. if you're right, we uh, gain credibility by being right ahead of the curve. Science supports what it is that we are uh, saying and have been talking about for many years. And then we gain a lot of credibility and we can begin to positively affect changes in policies to the point where things are saved. And it's going to be a lot more than just immigration. It's going to be the welfare state. And so, because genetics of intelligence has a lot to do with the welfare state as well, in which you're paying in yes. general people who are le the least intelligent to breed the most. And that is a form of eugenics, which I hugely oppose, as I oppose all eugenics. Yes. So either we can turn it around and that's well worth the fight. Or yeah. we can't turn it around, but what we do is we leave enough information for the next round of civilization to learn from our mistakes, right? Yeah. And, and that has yeah. value too. Like, I mean, the fact that Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and Diogenes and Stoics and uh, in fact, all these people thought and wrote had a lot to do with bringing about the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, the Age of Reason, like what... <laughs> 2,000 or 1,500 years after they were generally put to death or fled or banished or whatever, right? So we might mm -hmm. just be laying down the tracks for the remix of civilization to learn from because it's going to be really hard to erase all of this stuff from the world now that it's out there on the internet. You can burn down the library of Alexandra, but you can't very easily erase stuff like my show, half a billion copies and views all over the world, and it's going to be mm -hmm. there. So maybe it'll be there for the next reboot. Or the third solution is we all end up in camps and, and nobody learns anything and society just goes on and on and on, which is what's going to happen if nobody does anything, right? And yeah. so we aim to speak the truth. We aim to help the world as much as humanly possible. And either we'll mm -hmm. succeed or we'll fail. Now, if we don't do anything, we'll fail for sure. And yes. the chances of success would be relatively low if the science, particularly in this area, wasn't so close to coming up with actual genuine answers. So as long as we can speak, as long as we can make our arguments in the public square with the social risk and the risk of ostracism and the risk of economic attacks and so on, but not being thrown in jail, right? I mean, it, it, once once you lose your free speech, yeah, yeah once you lose your free speech, well, 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 you, that, you don't well, bother well, that's anymore. What, that's what's happening now, right? There's this uh, internet uh, problem that's happening. <clears throat> you, you published a video about it yesterday. Yes. I mean, Now, that's still got a month happens, to go. That still has a month to go. It has not been passed into law as yet. In a month, the uh, European Parliament's going to vote on it, and hopefully uh, uh, people can rouse themselves to uh, oppose to that. Oh my God! If that happens, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, sure. I have I've had trouble on Facebook already. Just Facebook. Imagine if everything in the internet is monitored. Although I don't know how they're going to do this. There's encryption everywhere. But if this happens, there's no more freedom of speech, and uh, even they the AFD will not be able to make videos or stuff 
Are they going to well, find reasons? No, but I mean, life finds a way, right? The water, like you put a rock yeah. in the stream, the stream doesn't just stop. It just finds another way, right? So they'll just find other ways to share information, share ideas. And then, yeah. and then what will happen is if people lose their free speech, uh, they will simply turn to um, coercion, right? They will simply turn to rebellion, to I mean, yeah. it's the old staying from Kennedy, right? Those who make peaceful reform impossible make violent revolution inevitable. So you lose free speech. People just, they're just going to find other ways to solve the problem, ways that are far less pleasant than um, having conversations. Yeah. The, the, what I'm worried about is that we have now 2 million refugees that have come here, not refugees, well, migrants in general, uh, that have come in. Very small fraction of them works and is productive. And uh, I, I mean, um, they breed so much as you know and germans have a fertility rate of like 1.3 or something and uh, don't you think there's a critical point because most of those people will stay and they will replace the 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 well, population no no not not when they run not when the country runs out of money probably not I'm afraid if the country runs out of money, there will be violence. And, oh, uh, there will like, be violence for uh, sure, which is why – yeah, there will be – once the country runs out of money, there will be violence for sure. But um, How do uh, the idea themselves? that everyone's just going to stay in a cold place without free money from the government, eh, you know, maybe we'll find out one day. Oh, my God. This is like uh, why I mentioned uh, uh, like uh, violence in the beginning, like how I'm going to protect myself. Because I think of these scenarios and uh, if a bunch of people come uh, came here and break into my apartment, what am I going to do? Use kitchen knives? I don't know. <laughs> it's well, how, what, what is your, how long have you lived in Germany? What is your sense of patriotism or loyalty to Germany? No, no, I'm loyal to Germany. I love this country. I really do. And uh, I like everything it's doing, and uh, I, I feel like Germany, like Germans, are very successful and hardworking people. And this is, uh, I mean, from my profile, you would know that I, I appreciate this a lot. But uh, like, uh, I mean, what's happening recently is that uh, the law is not being implemented. Mm-hmm. Law is not being used. I mean, uh, I mean the, the one thing that I like Germany for, like in, in the first place, the law, because there's value to human life. There's value to me, regardless of who I am. It's not being implemented anymore. I mean, if someone attacks my apartment and I kill them, maybe I will go to jail. Well, you know what they say. It's better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. <laughs> well, it's insane. Really, I don't find the way out of this. Right. So as long as you feel that you can reasonably make a case for a, a more sane policy, if you can criticize existing government policies, if you can criticize existing ways of doing things. And I, you know, my suggestion in Europe is take aim at the welfare state, not at the migrants. The migrants are a symptom of the welfare state. If there's no welfare state, there's no migrants. And so people, you want to work at criticizing the welfare state because you can't be accused of racism if you want to get rid of the welfare state because the welfare state is still predominantly used by whites. Uh, in terms of just sheer numbers, not necessarily proportion of the population, but the welfare mm-hmm. state is used by uh, by whites. And so, yeah, if you absolutely. take aim at the correct thing, I don't see how it's hate speech to criticize the welfare state and to say we need to end the welfare state. Uh, yeah. But if you start talking about immigration while there's still the welfare state, um, I mean, it's worth talking about for sure, and it might help. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think uh, that the more sensible thing to do is to take aim at this massive income redistribution scheme and eugenics called the welfare state you know in germany in particular you can say 
Well, I don't know that inviting a bunch of people in who don't like Jews is really breaking with the German tradition of hostility to Jews. This is one thing I don't quite understand about what's going on in Germany, is that mm -hmm. there are, um, you know, a lot of the migrants, uh, a lot of the Muslims really, really hate the Jews for yes. reasons that go back many, many centuries. And so yep. bringing in a whole group of people who have a big problem with the Jews, not all of them, but significant numbers of them, I don't know how the German government is getting away with that without being called anti-Semitic. Like that to yes. me is kind of confusing. Uh, and that may be another thing to talk about is the safety and security of the Jews. Mm -hmm. And you in particular mm -hmm. have a very big superpower, a, a huge superpower, which is that you're not a white native German. Yeah, oh my no, God, seriously, the, the, like where <laughs> you come from gives you superpowers that you don't really quite understand as yet, I would assume. Like a Syrian immigrant criticizing the migrant crisis? Dude, what are they going to think of a short circuit? People all over the place. Because you also, you know, you can say to me, hey, don't don't talk to me about Syrians and what Syrians are like, bro. I, I lived there for a long time. Don't don't germ-splain me to that, like, to that degree, right? Well, when I did that, they just told me, like, how are they different from you? <laughs> wow. Double-sided sword. There's no way to run away from this. When they want to attack you, they attack you. <laughs> and there's right. no way. <laughs> right. Well, you have a story. You have a story that um, I think is quite powerful. And I would also say, if you think all Syrians are the same, then you're kind of a racist. <laughs> that's right? nice. Because that's like saying, well, I mean, good heavens. Every black must be like Candace Owens. <laughs> or, you know, it's like, no, there's a lot of differences in the black community. I mean, to put them all in one big blob is racist. And to say absolutely. all the Syrians are like me, that's racist. Yes, absolutely. That's correct. Um, Stefan, would you, would you know, like, uh, you have, I mean, maybe it's a stupid question, but where would you think, like, I like Western culture in general. Is there any country you know that's not crazy? That's not crazy with leftism. Is there anywhere left to go? <laughs> well, no, those are two different questions, right? So is there any country not crazy with leftism at the moment? No. Is there uh, – does that mean that all countries are equally crazy? No. If – if I mean, certainly in, in America, you have the First Amendment. And there's no such thing as hate speech in America. So you can make your case in America quite powerfully. Canada – <clears throat> I know Canada has this pretty bad reputation for hate speech laws and so on, but Canada is not too bad. You make a reasoned case with, with evidence and so on, and uh, you're good for the most part. So there is there are places. Now, other places, like, I mean, you talk about basic facts about Islam in uh, in in Syria or or sorry in in Sweden sorry uh, just a Freudian slip there for a moment um, <laughs> in places like Sweden or places like the UK you can face some significant yeah. problems yes it's so uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily go to Sweden to talk about these kinds of things <laughs> but uh, if you yeah. go to other places then um, that can make a, a big difference also immigration policies are different right so there are some countries where they try to get the smartest immigrants. Now, in Canada, there is that kind of picky, choosy stuff. But of course, the majority of Canadian immigrants are still family reunification stuff, which is not filtered by the quasi IQ of test of education and achievement and so on. 
But um, there are still different places uh, with different standards that you can go to. And there are also places where they're on the upswing as far as trying to deal with this stuff. I mean, you can certainly see that places like <clears throat> Italy, Spain, not so much, but Italy uh, is starting to surge back against the migrant crisis. Uh, it yeah, may happen at some that. point in Greece. I think you can look at it in Austria. You can look at it a little bit in Germany and, and see. We'll find out, I guess, in about two weeks uh, what's happening between um, the interior minister and uh, Mother Merkel, uh, what's going on with yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, as long as you can still talk about uh, reason and evidence. And uh, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan. I don't think it should be illegal. I'm not a big fan of the promotion of, of hatred and, and you know, these people are corrupted, these people are terrible. And I mean, that's not polite. It's not right. It's not, not constructive. It's not helpful. And it's certainly not an argument. But as long as you can still make an argument, as long as you can still make an argument, then make the argument. Mm -hmm. And as if at yeah. some point it becomes pretty clear you can't, then you got to go, I would assume, I would argue you got to go someplace where you can. And I'm uh, pretty sure you're not going to get into a lot of trouble in Hungary or Poland for criticizing immigration. Oh, but these are poor countries. These are very poor well, countries. Well, how, I mean, how rich uh, are you in Germany, these are poor countries? You're getting taxed at well, 45%. Yeah, that's right. But, but still, probably, I'm going to get I'm getting paid way more here. I think so. What, what do you this care about like, what you're getting paid in salary if you're a crypto guy, dude? <laughs> what matters is can you get your crypto without giving it all to the government uh, by the way Poland is crazy with crypto they have you can pay more than you, what you earn in crypto I don't know if you heard that they no. have this uh, constant 1% tax for every trade wow so I mean if you do 100 tra uh, trades you pay 100% <laughs> wait 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 no it's 1% of each trade right no, 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 no. No, so 1%. you're not paying. You pay. You, oh, come on. I mean, you can, you can, That's you can insane. do a bunch of smaller yes. trades and then a big one, and anyway, or you can just hold them all off for a big one. But you know that math better than I do. Well, if if <laughs> if, if you well, if you trade Bitcoin for Ethereum back and forth one hundred times, you lose the, you lose the whole amount. Hmm. That's how it works. I, I mean, there has been stories uh, on Reddit and discussions on this, and it's insane and. Basically, be what, what people are going to do, they're going to ignore it until they get sued, and then the, the judge will find a way. But just wanted to tell you that Poland is not the best place anyway. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. So listen, I'm going to move on to the next caller. But first of all, I just okay. wanted to say I hugely appreciate the call. Very, very instructive and enjoyable. Feel free to call back anytime. And um, oh, I also wanted to mention, maybe you can... Are you a father? Are you a father? Yes. yes. You're a father? Yes, yes, I'm a father. Okay, so yes. what are you doing working 16 hours a day, man? I, I work at home with my son and my family. With your son? Okay, how old are your children? Uh, my son is uh, nine months old. So doing a lot of crypto trading with your gurgly apprentice there? No, no, he, he sits and plays beside me, and I work when he, I mean, I play with him every now and then, and uh, we're, we're together all the time. This is how I work all the time. Uh, but, uh, all right. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe you could dial back the work a little bit because you want to make sure that bond with your kid is uh, very – and they need eye contact. They need direct playing. You know all this stuff, right? But uh, Yeah, absolutely. I'm planning when in a few years, hopefully I'll be done with this very high-intense work and then – No, do the high-intense work later. You got to lay in your connection with your kids now. Otherwise, the teenage years are going to be very tough. 
Really? Okay. Oh, now, yeah. No, you like want to get months. your connection with your kids real solid right now. And that way your teenage years with age. your kids are going to be great. Otherwise, if they don't have a strong bond with you, then what's going to happen is they're going to bond with their peers and fight with you. We're talking months in age, really. Yeah, seriously. Now, right. now, now is the time, man. If you gear back now and get that connection right now. I mean, what the hell does work matter relative to that strong connection with your kids? They're not just blobs. They're absorbing, they're connecting, they're forming relationships, they're learning how to trust, the, you know, all the stuff that's going on right now. You can read Alison Gopnik's The Philosophical Baby or other works around how much is going on in the baby's brain, but they're not just gurgling and eating and pooping. They're scanning and connecting uh, and laying in the foundations of um, uh, all their relationships for the future in the first year or two or three of their life. Okay, well, good to know. I didn't know that. I thought, like, until three, four years, nothing matters. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay, thanks that, for that, this. That may be how it works in the United Arab Emirates or in Syria, but uh, <laughs> it's not how it works uh, uh, in the West. All right. Well, thanks very much for your call. I appreciate it. We're going to move on to the next caller. Thank you, Stefan. Bye-bye. Okay, up next we have Joe. Joe wrote in and said, I always hear Stefan urge people who have kids when they're young. Please explain how this is possible in today's economy. If you're going to have a baby, shouldn't you own a home first? You would need at least a two-bedroom apartment, preferably in a safe area near a good school. Most people of childbearing age don't have the same income opportunities their parents had. We are faced with skyrocketing home prices and rent. Heck, higher prices for just about everything except stupid electronic gadgets. Job opportunities are few, precarious, and often low-paying. Few people can afford the health care needed to have a kid. Many don't have health care at all. Many are living hand-to-mouth where having a kid is just not feasible without outside support. My father used to live in the same area I currently live in. We both at the same age made around $75,000 a year with just a bachelor's degree. Mine in finance, his in architecture. Except his rent at the time was $75 a month for a comparable one-bedroom, and my rent today is $2,000 a month for the same space. This allowed my father to get onto the property ladder very easily, start a family, build enormous wealth over his lifetime. Meanwhile, myself and many of my peers can't really get their life started without significant support from their family. Faced with these circumstances, why even try to swim against the current? Why not just piss off and pick grapes in Queensland? Life in the United States as a millennial is typically just spinning your wheels in the mud at best. Please help me put this in perspective. That's from Joe. Well, hey, Joe. How you doing? Hey, Joe. Joe. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. Sorry, I was fumbling to get the, the mute off. Oh, no problem. No problem. All so right. you don't have to tell me where you're living in particular, but I assume it's a fairly ritzy neighborhood? Um, I grew up in Southern California, um, and it's all become pretty ritzy over the last few decades. Um, a lot of people from you know, outside the area moving in and a lot of natives have left. I'm in a way the last of the Mohicans around here, you could say. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I'm not just here for um, frivolous reasons like bikini babes and, you know, good weather. My family's been here for four generations and, um, you know, most people I grew up with have left. And so I'm wondering, you know, maybe I should get out of here too. Well, um, that's, there's a lot in sort of what you're saying. Do you have a job where you have to be present in an office or a central location in order to do your job? 
Well, actually, since I wrote you, there's been a really amazing development in my life. Um, since then, my company has granted me the opportunity to work full time remote, which has been great because you know, oh, so you that. did the you did the don't bathe. Yeah, ah, that's yeah. good. Don't bathe and come in in scuba gear. Stand in the sunlight until your armpits begin to ferment, and you'd be amazed at how quickly you get a ticket home to work remotely. Also, Tourette's. <laughs> yeah, well, the you know my company is like most large companies. There's just just tons of leftism, and um, you know they're not. I, I'm a white male, and yeah, I've hit what Scott Adams calls the diversity ladder. So I took another angle at it. I'm like, well, there's no point in me always being here. They trust me to do my job, but if you're gonna be there, um, you know, you're more likely to climb the ladder. But you know, because of my circumstances, I've kind of just been muddling around there in an office for five years. But yeah, I listen, I mean, if if you're hitting the out, diversity ceiling, right? In other words, if you're a white male and they need to hit their numbers. You can sit down with your boss and you can say, hey, listen, why don't you convert me into a contractor? That way I'm not showing up on your diversity statistics because I'm not part of your payroll. Plus, maybe I can work from home some number of days a week, maybe three, maybe five, who knows. But um, there's lots of ways that you can help out your boss while still being productive in the workforce if you're hitting that diversity wall. Yeah, and that's kind of how it worked out, actually. Um, so I don't really need to stay here. I just had the whole world open up for me actually um and so i guess my question is the same as samir's like why would i should i stay here and fight the good fight i'm just spinning my wheels i can't get onto the property ladder i you know i could do um better for myself in another country it seems like well okay i mean there's lots of options in america so that is let's, – let's, let's look at a couple of different ways of, of looking at that question. Now, are you in a situation where you're dating seriously, you're engaged, you're married, or you're looking at having kids relatively soonish? Uh, yeah, I'm actually about to get engaged. Um, I like to have kids, um, and that's really hard to do in you know the area I'm in. It being so expensive, it, a lot of young families have been driven out of the area. Yeah, so you can't compare um, things directly to your father because when your father lived there, it wasn't as ritzy, right? Um, yeah, you could say that. I mean, don't get me but, wrong. The cost mean, of living has still really gone through changed. the roof. but uh, Nothing's really changed. I mean, these places around here haven't been updated since the 70s. I mean, the appliances and everything are still like it's a museum piece. Maybe there's some fresh paint. I mean, you want new appliances. You pay probably a lot more than I'm paying. <laughs> what does your fiancé-to-be want to do in terms of scheduling kids? Um, well, she'd love to be a stay-at-home mom, but, I mean, on my salary, it's just not possible. I mean, that's just... Wait, wait, wait. Um, it's just not possible. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, I know the point you're about to make. You're going to tell me that if she goes out and works, well, then I we have to pay for... um you know, babysitters and, you know, daycare and all that. And it, they kind of cancel each other out. Um, and I know what you mean. Yeah, because if, um, if, you, if your wife or your girlfriend or your fiancé, let's just say wife, 
if when you're young, your wife doesn't make that much money. And so having her stay home makes a lot more sense. If she's some corporate lawyer in her mid-30s, then you're giving up a huge amount of scratch just to have her stay home. But when she's young, you haven't really missing out on that much, right? So, so as far as like, do you want to stay in the same neighborhood? Well, insofar as having grandparents and extended family around is good for parenting for, for your kids, there's value in that. Would your father or parents help you out at all financially in terms of like, I don't know, down payment for house or anything like that? I mean, I I have my pride as a male. I kind of, I suffer silently. Well, did um, they ever vote Democrat in California? No, my parents are very um, right wing. And like have they fought the good fight in public for all of that? No. No. <laughs> okay, so they haven't really fought the good fight, so they kind of owe you a little, right? Uh, I guess you could say that. Um, but I I mean, I started a business once, and you know, it was kind of my first go at it, and I lost some of their money, so in that, it didn't work out. Um, so I, Do I they can't want really grandkids? ask them for anything ever again. Do they want grandkids? I feel like. Um my mom certainly does. I think my dad's take her to leave it. He doesn't really care. He doesn't he care. Me to be he has grandkids, like. really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've hinted to him about it. Um, Did he not enjoy being Father's a father himself? Day recently, and we we've talked about it, and I could tell. Yeah, I understand what you mean by that. Like being a dad for him was. It's pretty. It was pretty stressful. It seemed like he was always working. He was never around, um, and we had like a lot of nice things. But you know, I just I never really had much of a relationship with him. Right. So you don't want to do what your dad did. No, I. I mean, I don't. Um, but it, the circumstances are different. Like I'm. I got to work like that just to stay afloat. Really? Well, no, you don't. I, you just need to, if you want to stay exactly where you are, and no one helps you, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, you can move. Now, you don't have to leave California. It's not like everywhere in California is that expensive, right? Um, it's pretty expensive everywhere, honestly. Well, I that's mean, a pretty blanket statement to make, right? <laughs> well, like the the places you want to be. There's like, well, no, but why do you want to be there, right? So, for instance, do you want your kids to go to government schools? That's another thing. How I, how would I afford private school on that kind of salary? Why, like, why would you have to send them to private school? Um, I, I, there's homeschooling too, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, but like I'm working on. No, but you've got a, a wife who wants to stay home. Yeah, but she pulls in some good coin. I mean, being as, you know, a female, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities wait, wait. for her. I'm so sorry. And she's I... always moving up the ladder. She makes more money than me, actually. All right. All right. Hang on. Hang you on. Know, how that world Hang works. on. Hang on. So <laughs> what does your wife do? I'm just going to call her your wife. I know you're not engaged yet, but just. Yeah, yeah. Right. she's a marketing executive. But, I mean, she gets laid off like every year, it seems like. And Wait, I've so she's, I'm so sorry to keep like, interrupting you, but I'm just trying to establish something. No, no, go ahead. So she is a marketing executive, and she, was she educated? You, does she have a bachelor's uh, like yourself? Yeah. 
All right. So she's well-educated. She's a professional. And she wants to be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Good thing we educated her, <laughs> wouldn't you say? <laughs> right, right. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. All right. But I told her, honey, we, I mean, we need empowered women in the boardroom to um, – or else all these men are just going to run everything. What? <laughs> it, that's her statement? That's what I tell her. Oh, that's what you tell her. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you telling her that? I'm just I, – I just I – I'm not sure how everything would add up. No, what um, you're telling her is stay and make money, honey. Right? <laughs> yeah, in a way. I'm – I'm just, uh, my own situation is pretty precarious myself. I mean, I've had a job for five years now, but I mean, I have the diversity ceiling and throughout my twenties, it's been very hard to keep a job. It's, and I've been through long unemployment stints where I've almost gone bankrupt several times. Well, um, how old is your wife? She's the same age as me. We're, um, both 35. So why are you asking me about having kids young when you're in your mid-30s? I mean, that ship may have sailed just a smidge ago, about 15 years. The point I was going to make was me going through my 20s in such a precarious situation. Like, I wouldn't ever dream of having kids. It, it was like, it was so precarious. And I'm wondering how, just to open up to a broader audience, how would you go about that in your 20s? No, but you make, I mean, I know God, you make different choices. If you decide you want to be a father, you make different – okay, let me tell you a story. It's story time. Here we go. So I'm 12 years old and I'm in Florida with my mom. And I'm feeling very lazy and I'm on what's called a lilo. It's like an inflatable raft. And I'm just kind of drifting out there. You know, the waves are rocking and it's a beautiful sunny day. I got my sunglasses on and I'm kind of like half dozing. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I should really, I don't know, get in the water and swim back to shore. And, and, and I'm just, but I'm just feeling really lazy, really kind of dozy. Anyway, I guess I fall asleep. Because when I wake up, or when I basically open my eyes, I'm like, you get that feeling, I guess astronauts have it. You get that feeling where you just feel kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I lean up, I look around, and the beach is a tiny little thin strip on the horizon. Thank heavens I could still see it. Tiny little thin strip on the horizon. Now suddenly, I go from kind of dozy and pretty relaxed to, well, I'm kind of far out at sea now, aren't I? And suddenly I have a whole different relationship to the sea. It's not just this cool little place where there are these tiny little fishes, but I'm out here beyond the trench, baby. I'm beyond the big deep. There could be anything down there. So I'm feeling kind of kind of nervous. I go from like, you know, totally relaxed to like, hmm, maybe like a five on the anxiety one to 10 scale. So then I start paddling back. Now, of course, all I can think of is how my hands must look like little pieces of chicken to everything down there that might want to eat me, right? So then what happens is, first of all, what happens is some flying fish suddenly jump over my raft. Now, first of all, it was kind of startling. Second of all, it was kind of beautiful. Third of all, it scared the crap out of me because I knew enough about marine life to know that flying fish don't just jump for exercise. They jump because they're chased, which meant that 
something bigger was down there, chasing the flying fish. Then what happened was, I bumped into a sunfish. This big old fish that just, and I'm, and it lolls around, and I'm just like, I completely freak out at this point. And it may not have been the wisest decision, but remember, I was 12. I basically just go into the water, and I swim. Now, I'm a pretty good swimmer. Now, this was before I was on like the swim team and the water polo team, and I swam pretty well, pretty fast. But I really swam like a, well, like a boat with an outboard Mercury motor hooked up to a space shuttle. <laughs> you know, I basically was barely touching. I was like cartwheeling across. And I made it back to the shore like it was the worst thing to do because, you know, like a panicked swimmer sounds like a wounded fish, I'm sure, to every great white shark in the known universe. But I was highly motivated <laughs> to get back. I went from like, eh, just kind of drifting along to like, oh, wow, that's I'm pretty far out. I better start paddling back to like, oh my God, flying fish, ah, swim. And I got back to shore and my heart was pounding and pounding. And I, I literally waited like the rest of the afternoon, hoping that my inflatable raft was going to come in because we were poor and we couldn't afford another one. <clears throat> that's the same, ah, that's the same vacation where some creepy guy with a beard offered to pay for my video games in the, uh, in the uh, video game arcade. No, thanks. I think I'll stay chloroform-free today. Thank you, my elderly, creepy uncle friend. But um, so the point of that story is, yeah, you know, you're pretty lazy, but then suddenly when you're motivated, you're pretty focused and you're pretty driven. And so you can say, well, I can't imagine. If I was in my 20s, I was unemployed, I was this, I was that. Well, when you have a family to provide for, it's sort of like, you know, back in the hunter-gatherer days, you say, well, I, I, can't, I couldn't possibly have had a family on the amount of food that I hunted and killed and grew when I was a single man. And it's like, well, sure, because you were a single man. But suddenly you got a wife and kids to feed. You get pretty damn focused and you get pretty ambitious and you become very good at negotiating because you have the motivation called feed your family and kids because a bachelor can live on like 10% what a married man needs to have to provide for his family. And if you have the kids you'll find a way. I mean, saying we don't have enough money when millennials are like the second richest generation in the entire history of the planet. Boomers, yep, well off. You know, they had they had the government print all the money and borrow all the money and, and the welfare state and they got all of this great stuff. They got the warfare welfare state without having to pay taxes for it. And they get all this benefits and bonuses and social security and, and um, all this kind of good stuff and, and Medicare and Medicaid floating around. So yeah, the boomers, they were the richest. You guys, second richest. Second richest human beings in the entire history of the planet say, I can't possibly have enough resources to raise children. Are you kidding me? Of course you do. Now, does that mean you have to move? Sure. Sure. You know, like the indigenous population of North America, the buffaloes are on the move. We have to move too. Yes, the economic opportunities are on the move. So you have to move too, but that's all right. I mean, migration is a very core part of, of the human, uh, of human existence and so on, at least within a country. So yeah, you go to some place where you can afford it and you don't have to worry with homeschooling. You don't have to worry about the quality of the local government schools, right? And you certainly probably as a white person, if you're, if you're, if your uh, kids are going to be white, like if your wife is white, your kids are going to be white. Well, they may face racism in schools, right? 
And, uh, you know, back in the day, like your father didn't have the opportunity to work from home. He didn't have the opportunity to work online. He didn't have the opportunity to learn how to program games for phones and stuff like that. I mean, there's incredible opportunities for, I mean, just, I mean, to look at me, right? I mean, yelling in your basement used to be a sign of mental illness. And now, uh, well, freedomainradio.com slash donate, you can help me continue to do it if you think that's a useful thing to do. And we all know that it is. So if you start to think more proactively and say, okay, well, things aren't exactly the same as they were in my father's day. Sure, there have been some drawbacks. Price of housing and all of that in in developed areas is pretty high. Taxes are pretty high. But online opportunities are huge and uh, you have the capacity to now work wherever you want to be, which your father didn't have. He couldn't go work in some shack in the woods. And resources for educating your children at home are far better than they used to be, right? I mean, I, I'll mention this before, the Freedom Project Academy, Dr. Duke Pesta, fpeusa.org, I think is the website. You can check out that stuff. Tom Woods has some great stuff. The Ron Paul curriculum is, like the amount of, uh, of resources to help educate your kids are staggeringly great. And so, yeah, there have been some drawbacks. There are some negatives, but there's, I would say, more than equivalent opportunities and possibilities now that you have. So it's the whole thing. It's like, you, you never know, how capable you are until you just kind of have to do stuff. And then you'd be like, wow, I didn't know I had it in me. And it's the same thing with being a father. Yeah, that's kind of what my dad told me. He's just told me, you're a resourceful guy. You'll figure it out. And I know that the fire will be lit under my ass when I have a kid on the way. Um, but you have no time to wait, right? If, you're, if your girlfriend is 35? Yeah, you really don't. you got no time. And no that's time. Like you got to start. You got to start now. I, that's how I ended up in this spot because you you know the model is okay. You get good grades. You go to college. Um, you get a decent degree. Um, and then you get a a well paying job. Save your money, buy a house, then have a kid. And that's always been the model set up for me. But you know, I got stuck in the mud between. You know, yeah, the migrants don't seem to be going the migrants and the illegal work. immigrants don't seem to be following that plan so much. Just kind of have know. kids on I'm, welfare. But I'm talking about proper case selected households here I, for myself, and that's how we got we get tripped up there. And I guess the trap is after that. Well, I just didn't get enough university, so you go back into university, and you. Just, I haven't done this, but you, most people just end up in the worst debt imaginable. Oh, yeah, no, uh, there's a lot of lies that are floating around there. But, you know, every generation gets lied to. You know, the 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 lie to the previous generation is you really need to go to Vietnam and the, and the to, to fight for freedom, to to prevent the domino theory from coming into. The, 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 the lie before that was uh, we're going to go and make Europe safe from fascism, don't you know? Uh, and the lie before that was, we're going to have the war to end all wars, the world to make the world safe, the war to make the world safe for democracy. Yeah, everyone gets lied to by their elders. You know, debt is still better than death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good perspective. Thank you for that. Yeah, so I guess another I'll- lie was hedonism will lead to happiness. <laughs> have key parties, share your wives, everything will be great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I just you you work on the internet as well. I I know you're in Canada, but if you could go anywhere, where would you go? I you just told Samir that there's no countries not 
infested with crazy leftism. But yeah, I'm interested in maybe leaving the West and going to Latin America, but I, I'm not sure how, um, you know, having a, a family down there would be. Why, why Latin America? Where, where in Latin America? Well, um, actually in the area I am, I'm in, I'm very close to Mexico. And, um, I mean, some crazy stuff happens there, but you know, you can, it maybe it was like, uh, this area 20 years ago down there where there's still room to live and there's little rules, but, um, you know, some crazy things happen, you know, people get decapitated and hung from bridges now and then. And, um, but I yeah. think it's settled down. People tell me you don't go looking for trouble. You won't find it. Um, I don't know. You seem, I, I, are you tired or something? You seem very sort of low energy. Yeah, I've been working all day. Okay. I usually do. Okay. The fire has been lit under my ass. I have like three jobs as, you know, just a bachelor. But do you not have any savings? I mean, you've been working for 20, for, for 10, 10 years at least, right? That's the point I was making about getting stuck in the mud is, um, you know, through my 20s, I managed to save up like 40K almost. Lost it all in the in the bust in the Great Recession. Wow! Um, How did you win in the debt? Um, well, I started um, a trading company. I'm yeah, I followed the markets pretty closely, and uh, I had a, like a great strategy that was working out. It was back tested and all that, and then you know interest rates and um, volatility changed and just wiped it all out and took out my savings. Um, so you were not a very good investor. If it wiped out no. your savings, right? No. You should not put the essential money into high-risk stuff that can destroy it, right? Well, I was only a threat to myself back then, really. Well, no, Being because single. the resources you accumulate in your 20s are the foundation of your family in your 30s, right? Yeah, and, you know, I couldn't find work for years, and I just I went into debt. And, you know, I finally got another job. Wait, sorry. I'm debt. sorry to interrupt. What were you living on when you couldn't find work for years? Um, you know, just odd jobs. I was cleaning houses. And was that um, enough for you to live on your own? Yeah, barely. I mean, I was getting unemployment too. Oh, um, for years you were collecting money from the state? Yeah. The so other, other I mean, taxpayers I, had to pay for your investment losses. Well, they were, I, I was a taxpayer for a long time. I was thinking I got just the money back I'd put in. I don't think that's true. If you only work for a couple of years and you're taking years of unemployment insurance, I think you took out probably a little more than you put in. Well, I had, I had, I had a job for five years. I went unemployed for almost two, and then I finally got another job. Crawled back from you know, I got back out of debt, and um, you know, just in time to lose my job again. And then no, but are you staying? You're staying in the same area. Just boom and bust. No, I've moved around. I've crossed the coast for different opportunities. Um, and I've recently just come back here to, you know, where I grew up. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, I've been through so many booms and busts. Should I be sticking my neck out right now and thinking about starting a family? You know, can I do this? What if I go back unemployed again? I'm just, I'm so used to being hunkered down. I have, like, no idea what. No, but you have, you have a family like, that has some resources, right? They're not going to let yeah, you but, live on a bridge, right? Yeah, it's it's a subsidy, though. 
mean, if I can't do this on my own, like, no, but is that but a flaw in my your, character? Your family loves you, and they don't want you to starve, and they don't want their grandchildren to starve, right? True. I mean, yeah. you weren't so proud that you wouldn't take unemployment insurance, right? True. Very true. And it's more personal if your family pays, right? No, I just, mm -hmm. I'm sorry to sound annoyed, but like, I had no family safety net when I was heading out doing all my entrepreneurial stuff. You know, you've got a family safety net and you're saying, well, I don't, too risky. Yeah. I've just, I don't know how to ask him for money. And I never, oh, but I've see, never that's, asked him that's, for a dime. That's, that's the flying fish scenario <laughs> again, too. You, you'll yeah. find it's actually a lot easier to ask for money when you're facing eviction and starvation. You'll find that you'll find a way to, to ask for money, right? Yeah. So if you, to just open it up back to a wider audience, if you're in your twenties and you know, you want to have a young family, you're talking about like getting the whole, getting the grandparents involved and, you know, having subsidies for that. Right. Well, no, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, you can live pretty cheap, right? You said you need a two bedroom, what was it? A two bedroom apartment to have kids? Yeah, I mean, Why? don't you need Why a you nursery need and all that? Why? Yeah, it seems like people, would, besides a bigger place, I've I've observed people with children, and it just seems like uh, they're just pissing money constantly. I well, that's a choice, my friend. That's and, a choice. Yeah, listen, people choice. had kids during the Great Depression. People have kids during wartime. People had kids during the plague. It's like, but we have slightly diminished economic opportunities, so that's it for the human race. <laughs> it's like, come on, <laughs> come on. You don't need all of that crap. Yeah, I'm hoping it's just one of those things I over-worried about and somehow worked its way out. What? I don't know what that means. What are you talking about? You know, you sometimes you over-worry about things, and things just have a way of working themselves out. No. <laughs> no. No, listen. <laughs> What does your girlfriend want if she's a stay-at-home mom? Does she say, oh, it doesn't matter where we are as long as we're together and as long as the kids are healthy? Um, more or less. I mean, she has a – she comes from a, a well-off family and she's oh, you used have two to some social of the nicer things nets. in her life. Yeah. Jesus, sure. man. I just don't like asking for help. Well – then, then what you want to do is design your life so that you don't have to spend much money. You're working from home. You, you may need no car, right? I mean, it depends on where you live. You live next to a grocery store that cuts your need for a car down enormously. You live in a cheap place. You know, you can get, you can get places, you can get nice places for like $7.50 a month in various places, right? You go to a small town, go to some place that's out of the way, go into the country, go like there's so many things that you can do. To keep your expenses down, have no car, learn how to bike ride, go to a place where there's not a lot of snow, so you don't need a car as much. I mean, don't have your kids involved in expensive activities, but if you're in the country, they can play in the woods, they can play in the backyard, you'll have room, you'll have, you know, get good relationships with your neighbors so that you can cross-pollinate your babysitting so that you don't have to pay for babysitters. You know, I'll watch your kids, you watch my kids, so get involved in a, in a homeschooling community where maybe you can drop off your kids uh, as other people can drop off kids if you can teach some stuff. So there's so many things that you can do to, to lower your expenses so that you can at least enjoy the first little while home, the first five, seven years home with your kids. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean you can't work and can't continue to grow your business or your income or, but you don't, you don't need all of this 
stuff to be a parent. I mean, most of our ancestors, with the boomers accepted, didn't have any of it. All right, I see. Um, yeah, I guess I've just been around the wrong parents that have all the accessories. And well, no, you, you have the money. perfect example, which is your father worked all the time, you had lots of stuff, but you missed him, right? Yeah, I did. If you had the choice to have less stuff and more dad, which would you have chosen? More dad. Of course obviously. you would have. Because the stuff is all forgotten now, right? The stuff was all sold at garage sales 20 years ago. The stuff you have to have. Yeah, I say this to my daughter. Oh, dad, I have to have this. It's like, what were the last five things that you have to have? That you had to have, right? Exactly. There's, there's some box in the basement. We, 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 we gave them to Goodwill. We, you know, they're lost in some drawer. And we made this have to, I need another rubber ball. No, you don't. Unless you're opening a gym, you don't need another rubber ball. And so all of this stuff, we got to have stuff for the kids, you know? It doesn't matter. You don't, you don't use it anymore. You, you, you don't even remember where it is. It may be somewhere in the basement. It may be forgotten. That's all the stuff that your dad went to work to get you. Now, your relationship with your dad can never be recovered in the way that if he'd been there when you were younger, it doesn't mean you can't have a good relationship with now, now <clears throat> but it sure ain't going to be the kind of relationship you could have had if he'd been around. So you're looking at kids and saying, well, the kids want stuff. Kids don't want stuff. They want their parents. Now, you get to stay at home and work at home and you get to homeschool your kids. It's a beautiful thing. That's natural. How did kids throughout most of her evolution, get schooled, get instructed while they hung around with their parents and done stuff that way. That's how it worked. And that is Yeah, I really how... wish I had more of that yeah. with my dad yeah. and less stuff. Because now your dad is giving you useful stuff wrong. like, well, you're a resourceful kid, you'll figure it out. It's like, well, that doesn't really help, right? <laughs> no, it And your doesn't. dad is indifferent to having grandchildren. Oh, that's sad. That's really sad. He's also indifferent as to whether you want children. Because that's what it is to be indifferent. You know, if my daughter wants something, it matters to me. It doesn't mean I'll give it to her, but it matters to me. It matters to me because it matters to her. And when you say my father's indifferent about having grandchildren, it means that he's indifferent to your desire for children, right? Right. That's pretty sad. And that's the result of working so much. I Yeah, thanks for helping me put that into perspective. Because... I guess when you're a parent, you have to like justify, you know, yourself as being a good parent by what you can provide. And I guess that's not necessarily what it's all about. Well, I mean, let me material ask you this. things. Let me ask you this. Who wanted all this stuff? It's not the kids. Your father probably didn't enjoy working that much. Kind of narrows things down a little bit. Who wants all this stuff? Or who wanted all this stuff in your family? Most of it's junk I didn't want. <laughs> I know. So who wanted it? I guess the parents want to give that to you so no, they can make themselves no, 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 look no. well in front no. of the other ones, right? <laughs> it's your mom. My mom? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did your mom want the high-status house? Did she want the nice stuff? Did she want the kids with oh, the latest fashions? Do. Did she want all of that cool stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So your dad... Had to slave away to satisfy your mom's thirst for status at the expense of his family. 
Exactly. And the reason why you can't imagine things that are different is because you haven't identified that this greed for status on the part of your mom probably had a lot to do with the fact that you missed your dad. And it's your mom who wanted stuff rather than your dad around, which is kind of cold, right? Oh, yeah. They don't, I don't have the best model for how to set up a successful marriage based on theirs. And I know what well, how, how so? Do, what's missing for you for them? Um, well, growing up, uh, you know, my parents argued a lot. I got really bad grades as a kid in school. And I don't know, those teachers didn't know what was going on at home. Like, you'd see my homework and it'd be all messed up. I'd be getting F's and D's. They just thought I was a dumb kid, so he put me in special classes. But, you know, my parents were fighting all night about bills. And, you know, my they slept on different floors. It was, Why were they fighting know, about odd. bills? Um, I, I don't really remember because I was so young, but, like, bills would be laid and, you know, my dad wouldn't forget to pay him or maybe he just uh, didn't have the money because, I mean, his business went through a bad patch where he built something and didn't get paid for it um as an architect and that was really bad for us um and just other instances you know my mom is a really big nag to my dad and you know his solution to that was you know i need my space away from you on another floor she was she was a nag yeah really big one still is it's your uh, girlfriend at all like that no she's incredible wow woman i ended up with you know even though she's out of work at the moment she's sorted out a lot of things for me in her downtime you know she saved me money on car insurance (laughs) she sorted out um you know my health care you know got me a you know more efficient setup with that And, and she's great she keeps the house tidy which my mom never did and she can cook and yeah none of those was things uh, was your mom, mom i mean did your mom work yeah she worked um but it was to pay for things she wanted you know she has some expensive hobbies but your mom did yeah like what um horseback riding oh boy that's some price yeah oh yeah yeah those are like kind of her kids in a way those horses have better health care than I do. Huh. <laughs> yeah, the love for animals uh, is problematic for a lot of people. You know, I saw this study mm-hmm. that uh, the states in the U.S. with the highest birth rates, the Google searches or the search engine searches, they're all for like pregnancy problems or uh, you know, how to raise babies or best kind of diapers and all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas the ones with the lowest birth rates, the top search engine hits, they're all about cats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I actually, I hate the substitute that people have for children. It's like, you didn't have children? I don't even want you to have cats. <laughs> all right. So, so if you identify this pattern in your parents, that your dad was nagged into providing horses for mama, which is, uh, I don't know, the idea that you'd prefer horseback riding to sleeping with your husband, <laughs> you know, like wrong riding, lady, wrong saddle. <laughs> I mean, that's just pretty sad, right? 
Yeah. I, and I guess subconsciously I'm setting myself up for that same sort of thing. Yeah. Again, I need to provide so many material things and that's why I've put it off for so long. Yeah. Having kids no, you and don't, starting you a don't family. I just didn't feel, you know, competent as a male provider when I necessarily didn't have to. You don't have to provide material things. It's more, yeah. Let me, let me back, tell you something. I would have liked my dad's time more. Of course you would have. Of course you would have. And your dad would have rather spent time with you too. But he was afraid of the nagging from your mom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no man ever wants to say to his wife, it's the horses or me, for fear of what the answer will be. Right. But yeah. um, I'll tell you something that's interesting. I have a great deal of difficulty spending any money on my daughter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. She does not want things. Or the things she wants, she's like, can I have a quarter to get a rubber ball from a vending machine? It's like, I think we can swing that. <laughs> I think we can manage that. But I can't, I can't, she doesn't want to buy things. She doesn't want to do expensive sports or, or, or hobbies. And, you know, we've exposed her to stuff. She doesn't, her favorite thing to do is to chat with me or this thing I've talked about before we do called role-playing, which is kind of like a verbal storytelling form of Dungeons and Dragons with a little bit of dice from time to time, but mostly it's like problem-solving and taming dragons. And, and uh, um, she, she, there's right now, um, <clears throat> she's in a place called Seatown. Now, Seatown is interesting because it's the third town up the coast, A, B, Seatown. It's right on the sea, so it is C town and also it's communist which is the c as well right and it's a <laughs> communist so she's like well what is communism so we exp I explain how this town is a communist town and so on and uh, right now she's in the process of uh, um uh, attempting to foment a revolution to uh, take over the uh, the town and this is the role playing that we do and it's vivid and it's powerful and it's so much fun we can do it for hours it's hilarious at times and that's what she wants to do the most of all. And it costs us nothing. Nothing. And other than she likes to go trampolining, which can, you know, it's not that expensive, but can cost a little bit of money. That's, that's about it. She doesn't want to. Want to go to Palladium? No, let's role play. <laughs> want to do gymnastics? No, I'd rather role play. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's free. And it's that's great. great. And it's great. Yeah. So you, you have that kind of relationship with your kids. They'll want to spend time with you, not have you spend money on them. Right. Um, Parenthood, there is no substitute. What do you find is your busy, biggest expense as a father? Ah, interesting. Biggest expense as a father. Ah, she likes to wear the same stuff over and over, so she's not much of a clothes horse. Um, actually, she hates clothes shopping. Oh, she's like me when I was a kid. Everything was uncomfortable. Well, my skin was dry. I didn't find that out till I was sort of my early teens. But um, uh, biggest expense. I mean, she's she likes arcades from time to time, but we don't really go that often. Um, I don't know. 
I, I mean, we're at the point now where she's had an allowance for a while, so she's saved up her money. She's got some chores to do. She gets an allowance if she does her chores, and she's been saving up her money. So for me, it's become a whole lot easier because it's like, can I have this? It's like, it's your choice. It's your money. Okay. So you want to, you know, pay, pay, pay your kids for the chores that they do, which isn't hugely realistic insofar as you don't get paid as an adult for doing your chores. But, you know, it's the first exposure to working. And then you, you, the budget is called, it's your money. Is, for you, is the schooling a large expense? No. No. Okay. Um, I, in a way, I think I could imagine a world where having kids is less money than being a bachelor. And that if you have you have a kid, that means you can't go out as much. And going out costs money. It, is is there truth to that? Well, yeah. I mean, I uh, you know when I used to live at Young and Eglinton, I there was this amazing, um, amazing Thai restaurant, and I am pretty partial to to Thai food. And uh, I used to go there not too often, but you know maybe once every week or two, and that was pretty pricey. Um, my daughter likes to eat at like places where they put vegetables inside of wraps. You know, that's, she doesn't want to, you know, Hey, you want to dress up and go to a nice restaurant? No, here's where I want to go. She has very, uh, uncomplicated tastes and, um, you know, as long as we can role play, <laughs> right? That's the important thing. If we can do that when we're eating, uh, she's happy. So no, you can, you can, you can stay pretty cheap for that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I guess uh, I've had um, bad examples of parenthood and all the things you need to provide in, other, in order to justify yourself as a parent, and it's not necessarily about that. Um, and I was looking at, I was thinking about young families and that don't have any degrees, and you know, I I, I see how they live. A lot of them are working at Verizon or waiting tables and just barely uh you know covering their gas to get there and back and imagining them having kids i guess it's another perspective um you know if you have a family that can help out and um you know you can still provide your time and yeah conversation of, um, is free connection is things. free love is free yeah and i mean of course you need money to live and and uh, no issue with that but the idea that you've got to have a lot of money to to raise kids. I don't. Uh, I don't see that at all. If you've got a great connection, you don't need to spend as much money. I mean, if your parents had been really connected and in love with each other, your mother wouldn't wanted to ride horses all day. True. Yeah. My dad would go on these expeditions to get away from her. <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding. I mean, one of the reasons that I was such a successful entrepreneur was I hated being home. Wasn't getting along with my girlfriend. So it's like, right. yeah, I'll stay at the office. I I'm happy to be busy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's uh, well, and you know, the thing too. I mean, if you if you stay home and and you focus on your relationship with your wife and you focus on your relationship with your kids, well, you're probably not going to get divorced. And if there's one thing that's expensive, it's getting oh, divorced. Yeah. That's why my parents stay together. Actually, they we hate each other, and, but um, it's too expensive to get away. <laughs> It was a golden cage, I guess you can call my house, when they found out the lawyers were going to take a third. 
Yeah, no, that's uh, that's no good. That's no good. And the other thing too, when you have strong relationships, then you're less likely to get sick in general. It's not bulletproof or anything like that. So, I mean, I get in the States, healthcare is a huge issue. I was talking to a family the other day. They're paying 1700 bucks a month in healthcare in wow. uh, insurance. I mean, that's nuts. Um, so, I mean, I mean, depends where you are, depends, you know, what stage of life you're in, depends on a variety of things. But, uh, I, I get that that's a, that's a different matter and there's only so much you can do about that. But, um, yeah, as far as the rest of it goes, you got a lot of choices, a lot of choices. Yeah. I never was unhappy because I didn't live in a house. I was unhappy because I didn't have good relationships and don't right. let stuff and status get in the way of your relationships. You know, because there's okay. this urge. Men have it in one sector. Women have it certainly with the home, right? A man's job is his penis. A woman's home is her vagina. <laughs> and <laughs> there's this idea, uh, status. We need status. We need to look good. We need to appear successful. And all of that is is crap. You, you want to have, you know, there's only one person or one group that you want to have status with, and that's your children. You want to have credibility with your children. You want to have status with your children. In other words, they want to look at you as someone who has authority and, and wisdom and connection and, and value and love to offer them. And anytime stuff gets in the way of your relationships, you need to reevaluate. Now, you need stuff. You need a roof over your head. You need food. I mean, it's not, it's not black and white, right? And yeah, you got to work. I mean, right now I'm doing this show rather than chatting with my family, but that's all right. You need resources, right? But don't let stuff get in the way of your relationships. There's a reason they use the same word for owning things and being demonically possessed. Possession, right? Because they really can drag you away from what matters to the point where all the horses that your mother loved when you were dead, sorry, all the horses that your mother loved when you were young are now dead. But the death of her relationship continues. It's a bad decision to put stuff over people. Right. Wow. I like that possession equals possessed. Yeah. Well, it's the old thing. It's, the stuff you own can end up owning you, right? And the desire oh, for status is, uh, you know who wants status is people who can't experience love. Like once you experience love, status, who cares? Like out there in the world, there are people, like I'm going to be doing this um, tour with Lauren Southern in uh, Australia. You can find out more about this at axiomatic.events, but, you know, the, the mainstream media as a whole in Australia is, you know, churning up their usual chum to attract the sharks of, of the left and so on. And it's like people try to take me down by attacking my status, by attacking status. You know, I was a pretty successful entrepreneur in the IT world, and I remember being described years ago in a mainstream media article as a former IT worker, <laughs> which is, you know, something that would also could be used to describe someone like uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a former IT worker. Yeah, it's true. Technically, he worked in IT. So, uh, you know, not that I'm at the same level, but you know what I mean. Like, and so people keep trying to attack me on the grounds of status. Like, oh, we can say stuff that's going to lower his status. It's going to make him look like a bad guy, like a crazy guy, lower his status. It's like, but I have love. I know that I'm loved. And when you have love, what do you care about status? 
what it does is it reveals the attacker's greatest fear. Like whatever people attack you with is their greatest fear. Like when I attack people for being openly irrational, well, that's my greatest fear. I don't want to be openly irrational. I don't want to be covertly irrational. Right? Irrational is the like that's the one one job. Be rational, right? Which is what I strive to do and all that. But when people attack you, they are nakedly displaying their greatest fear. So when people attack you, oh, we're going to make him look low status. Okay, well, that means that their status is their greatest possession, which is a terrible thing. And that low status is their greatest fear. Ooh, okay, well, the bully reveals his vulnerabilities. It's like smog flying over you saying, hey, shoot this arrow right on this scale that's not here. Or when people attack you and they try to humiliate you, what are they saying? Well, they're saying, they're openly revealing that they are the most afraid of humiliation because whatever they attack you with is the thing that they're most afraid of. And so when you have love, you don't care that much about status. I mean, I care about the status of my relationship with my wife. I care about the status of my relationship with my friends, my daughter, and so on. But random people and reporters and trolls and why do I care? I have love. Why do I care about status in the world? And it kind of makes you strong, makes you strong. People who are afraid of being controversial. People who are afraid of arousing ire are openly confessing that they lack love. Because if you had love, if you experience love on a daily basis, if you have the power of love, you can be hated and never take it personally. Because love, the love of those around you, creates this incredible shield against people's hatred. No one can tell me that I'm not loved anymore. They can tell me that I have a great mohawk. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. All right. Well, thanks very much for your call. Thank I will you, move Sam. on to the next call and we'll do one more. And let's see who's up next. Spin the wheel. Where it stops, nobody knows. All right. Up next, we have Kyle. Kyle wrote in and said, do atheists tend to lean towards far left ideology? If so, why? I once believed that socialist governments tend to push people towards atheism, but I'm beginning to believe that maybe the reverse is also true. I'm surprised that many critical-thinking non-believers are so quick to buy into the half-truths and unsupported claims that socialism offers. They will argue against religion using empirical evidence and logic, yet when choosing a political affiliation, they throw reason and evidence out the window. I'm increasingly concerned about this due to the growing numbers of nuns. N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, in the United States and what impact they may have on the future of our republic. That's from Kyle. Well, hey, Kyle, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Stefan. How are you? I am well, thank you. And when did you first begin to notice this atheism lefty thing? Well, I'll tell you, I've been uh, a a non-believer for around a decade now. And I've been following podcasts and just the basic social networking of of atheists. And I'll tell you, leading up to the election of President Trump, and especially after his election, it, it just seems they've went from church state issues to just about every left issue there's out there. And none of them are willing to present any any sort of rationale for their positioning. Um, I I've definitely moved away from the term atheist. Uh, I'd like to consider myself a non-believer, mainly because of the political baggage that's now attached to it. 
And do you have friends or people that you know who fit into that category? As uh, are a left-leaning atheist, is that what you're? Yeah. No, uh, I'm basically looking at the overall uh, what tends to be the uh, the voice of uh, atheism around the United States through podcasting. I don't want to name any names because I'd rather not promote these shows, um, even though I'm a non-believer. Um, you've answered a lot of my uh, inquiry through several recent videos, why the left hates science and death by welfare, um, which brings it down to just the brass tacks. I mean, is there like this Goldilocks effect within a society that requires some sort of faith in something? Because where atheists like to say that they can be good without God, they have this idea that humanity cannot be good without government. And I, I just I'm really worried about with the the lack of uh, uh, religiosity, lack of a better term, in the United States, and it's growing. That this is going to do nothing but fuel the left here, and we need to we need to get away from the left. It's going way too socialist, um, and it, it just really concerns me. And I was wondering your thoughts on it. Well, atheist societies are dying, and that's not what was promised. I mean, if you look at societies that are very atheist, like Sweden, like Japan, well, they're dying. They are either not anywhere close to replacement levels. Japan, what are they, at 1.1? They sell more elderly diapers than child diapers. And they have an unbelievable level of national indebtedness. It's like north of 200% of GDP can never be paid. And now they're talking about importing half a million immigrants and all of that to shore up the death of the island. Another country significantly atheist would be Sweden, which is um, dying. Its freedoms are dying. Its culture is dying. Its birth rates are down. And you see this all, all over the West, except in Christian areas. If you want, want to know where there's some high birth rates, look for some Mormons and you will find... <coughs> Lots of baby cribs. So, I suggest the Catholics along with that. But. Well, but look at the birth rates in Italy. Very low. Very low. Now, birth rates aren't everything, and I, I, I have no problem with declining populations at all, any more than I have problem with um, negative interest rates or deflation. These can all occur in a free market, free society, for sure. I don't think that the low birth rates in the West are organic, though. I think that they're indoctrinated. And I think also that you can see that the low birth rates are also to do with high taxes, less opportunity, the stuff that we were talking about with the last caller, that it used to be that one man working eight hours a day could support a family of a wife and five kids. And now two parents working 10 hours a day can barely support a child or two. So, And that's because... You know, if you look at sort of a general indebtedness in the U.S., it had these big spikes, you know, First World War a little bit, Second World War was very high. And then after the 1960s, it just cranked up and stayed there, which is when the great multicultural experimentation began to occur and the welfare state, which is part and parcel of that. And um, so I have no problem with declining birth rates if it's organic, if it's natural and so on. And maybe you need fewer people, but you can automate more. And there's, you know, smarter people have uh, other things to do than raise children, although 
I do think that parenting is given short shrift. I mean, if, if parenting involves yelling and hitting, sure, you can get a robot strapped to a ping pong battle to do that. But uh, uh, if it's around nurture, uh, nurturing and cultivating human reason, then it is a very skilled and complicated task. Well, I guess I guess my dilemma, though, is as much as that is leading in the wrong direction, and I, I guess maybe it's just all extremes do – if we if we swing the pendulum the other way and we look at countries that are um, theocracies or heavily based behind especially Abrahamic religions, they tend to become you know a lot of nationalism, uh, and and that has its own place as far as extreme problems. I don't see us going. No, but there. they'll survive. They'll survive. Do they? I mean, no. Look. I mean, Islam is is flourishing and spreading and growing, and is in no danger of low birth rates. Right? Is in no danger of any sure. of these things. I I get your point. So, I mean, you can say that they have their problems, sure, but they get to continue to have their problems, whereas the West might not. Right. And right. so, uh, and nobody ever said, "Well, embrace atheism and erase your culture and erase your history." And so to me, the big issue with atheism, which was as evident as uh, the first time atheism showed up, the big issue with atheism is that when you take away God, you take away, for a lot of people, free will, and you take away morality. Now, if you have a society where people do not strongly believe in free will, and where people do not strongly believe in morality, you have a society that is taking its first steps towards death. You, I, have I, a big, you have a big God and a small government, or you have a small God and a big government. That's kind of the way that it generally works. Where you have no God under communism, you have a giant state. And when you have strong religiosity, you can have a smaller government because people self-regulate and they are afraid of punishment from God and therefore you don't have to have as much punishment from the state. And they are charitable because they wish to gain favor to, to some degree because they want to be good and also because they wish to gain favor for their acts of charity from God and rewards in heaven. And Christians are in general more generous than atheists. So when you get rid of God, which logically is unassailable position and you can't logically justify the existence of a deity. But when you get rid of God, the question is why? Why were the atheists so keen to get rid of God? and say, oh, well, you know, but it's illogical. But as we've seen, as you pointed out, if they're so into getting rid of illogical or anti-rational entities, then why did they switch from God to the state? The state of all things. It was far more toxic than religion. Sure, and it has about the same success rate. Success rate as God. Um, what? What? I guess I'm caught in a personal dilemma, mainly because I don't believe. I don't think it's a choice that I have. I just don't believe it. When it's not true, it's not that you don't believe. Okay. It's not true. Okay. There's not. Okay. You accept that it's not true. Yes, I accept. I, I that unless you can show me something that's tangible. But then uh, it's, it's not God, right? Agreed. The moment right. it becomes tangible, empirical, scientific, it's some super dude maybe, but it's not God. Sure. Aliens, whatever. And that's what I get from a lot of arguments. But I have a son who's 17 and I've raised him non-religious. I haven't 
banned him from going to church or anything. I just instilled to him, if you're going to believe something, believe it for the right reasons and for good reasons. Um, and with generations after generations moving away from the church, especially here in the U.S., uh, it seems it's just it's just skyrocketing from my understanding of things. Uh, how do we stop it? How, uh, as a non-believer that does believe that there are problems within the church, and I am quite vocal about it, yet I'm also a conservative. Um, I tend to to believe in liberty. So you can put me in the libertarian if you want to. I, I do. I do think that freedom is what makes the United States unique. Um, what? What do I do? I mean, I'm sort of caught between my principles here. Whether do I stand up for rational reason or do I stand up for results? Well, you combat the new superstition called statism. That that's quite a chore right now. With with you think? Uh, yeah, but we have the greatest weapon, right? Which is the you do a internet. Great job, I really appreciate the information you put out there, and without that, I can't say that I would have the knowledge that I have. Um, so why, why were the atheists so keen to get rid of God? Well, they say, well, because it's God is not true. But collectivism is not true. Uh, statism is neither true nor valid. And they say, well, because God doesn't exist. And I remember having this uh, email. I, I was on some listserv group years ago, and I remember having this conversation with a bunch of atheist libertarians. And I said, the government doesn't exist. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they sent me pictures of the White House and of the Pentagon. And you know, I was like, yeah, those buildings exist. But would you accept that God exists because a church exists? No. Well, I look at it, at the government as an imaginary monster that we cannot afford to feed. It's, and we need to keep that thing as small as possible. No, so but it's worshipped by the – atheists worship yes, the state absolutely. in general. Atheists worship the state. And yes, I know there are exceptions. I would be one of them. You would be one of them. Sure. But we're talking in general, right? In general. Right. Well, I so think – So hang on. So the question is why did they want to get rid of – why did they want to get rid of God? Why do atheists want to get rid of God? Hmm. Well, I think it's because they wish to be hedonistic. And in a certain Darwinian sense, that makes sense. Darwinism – Darwinianism works on hedonism. Animals work on hedonism. Why do animals have sex? Because it feels good, right? Why do animals hunt? Because they like hunting and it feels good to eat and it hurts when you don't. Why do they go and risk their lives lapping up stagnant pond water at Pete's Pond in Africa? I don't know if that's still available on the internet, but it was years ago. Well, they go down and, ri and risk getting eaten by going to drink from the pond, which tastes like crap because being thirsty is really uncomfortable. You know, they get chemicals in their brain to bond with their children. Say, oh, it's love. Well, not really. <laughs> not really. I mean, it's just chemicals, right? And so being an animal is hedonistic. And Darwin and Darwinianism, evolution, works on hedonism. And so when you get rid of God, the great danger is you collapse into the animal. You have no longer the divine uniqueness of the soul, which stamps you as a child of God. As Jesus uh, and God says uh, that God has given man dominion over all the animals. He's separate from the animals. He's halfway between animal and God. The unique spark of conceptual divinity that we have, that is a miracle as far as we can tell. I mean, nobody knows how it works. It's just an incredible thing. I mean, it has a physical explanation, I'm sure. But right now, it's in the realm of miraculous because we don't know how it works. And it's incredible. 
And so the great danger, the great possibility was that God was the bookmark for what makes us uniquely human and not just an animal. My daughter was so offended when I said that human beings were animals. No, we're not. We had a great discussion about it, and she really helped change my mind on all of this. It's really upset that I said human beings are animals. No, we're not. And she made very good arguments, and she's helped change my mind on this. We're not. We're not. Because there is a uniqueness in human, in the human concept, and in, in, there is a uniqueness in the human's ability to conceptualize that is just absolutely different from every other animal. You know, a, uh, a cat hunts mice, and a lion hunts deer, or gazelle, or whatever, zebra. Okay, so the lion is a bigger cat, but it's still the same kind of mechanic. You know, a guppy will eat a plankton. A shark will eat a seal. But it's still the same. It's just a difference of size. It's not fundamentally a different kind of mechanic, right? But there's nothing like a human being anywhere in the animal kingdom. And I mean, for all the people who have these weird animal fetishes, sorry, you're wrong. You're just <laughs> wrong. Oh, but they taught Coco Gorilla, gorilla a little bit of sign language. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, and, and geese pair bond for life, but it's not love based on the virtuous actions of the goose. <laughs> so human beings are incredibly singular, fundamentally unique. There's nothing like humanity anywhere else in the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the insect kingdom, nowhere. You know, there's an old saying that somebody asked a biologist, I think it was a biologist, said, do you think that there's a God? He said, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is, he's inordinately fond of beetles because there's just nothing but beetles in the world. They're like, I don't know, massive amounts of the biomass on the planet. So God may be inordinately fond of beetles, but he's certainly not inordinately fond of consciousness, human consciousness, the ability to conceptualize, the ability to philosophize, the ability to extract conceptual identifiers and principles from merely sense data, from mere sense data, that's unique. And it's not only unique, like everything has a neck. It's a mammal, I guess. And But the giraffe just has a really long neck. Okay, it's a long neck. Everyone has, but it's not like we just have a long neck and other things have a neck. We have something completely unique. And I think that God was like the bookmark for that. It's what separated us from the animals. And why did we need that? Because if we sink into the animal, if we sink into hedonism, which is to be guided by the mere impulses of pleasure and pain, we lose what is human. And when we lose what is human, when we sink into the animal, do you know what we need? We need a herder. We need a farmer. Because we're not regulating ourselves, we become animals. So we need owners. We need masters. We need governments because we're not regulating ourselves. And so when you have Darwinianism replace religiosity, the great danger is we collapse into hedonism, into the physical. And we can see this. We saw this occurring in particular in the 20s with the flappy era. We saw this occurring in the early part of the 30s. We saw this in the 50s to some degree with the emergence of the jazz culture and the emergence of the drug culture and so on. We saw this in the 60s, just went completely nuts. And the darkest decade of my youth, which was the 70s, was a complete play out of all of this. So hedonism is, 
well, I'm not going to cross my legs, grip my teeth and wait for the good guy. I'm just going to go for the hot guy because if it doesn't work out, I could just go on the welfare state and that's how my kids will be taken care of. And it happens for men. It, it happens for women. We just, when you are consequence free, like this is what animals do, right? I mean, the dogs don't sit there and say, well, we better not have sex because we do have quite a few puppies around and I don't know if we can really sustain them. So maybe we'll hold off until we get some higher education, right? They're just like, I want to screw. And so as a dog, I screw. And you got cats yowling on the fence, making more kittens. They don't care. When the dingoes got uh, gotten rid of in, in Australia, you get a massive proliferation of rabbits until they run out of food. Then they all starve to death. Consequence free, sex in the moment, forget about the future. Well, I woke up this morning and I got myself a beer, <laughs> right? The future's uncertain and the end is always near, right? The Roadhouse Blues, this is the nihilism of the 60s. When you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. I'd trade all of my tomorrows for a single yesterday, this hedonism, blind Darwinian hedonism of the moment we collapsed into the merely mammalian and we lost the divinity of our consciousness. And this is why the 60s were so creative and so destructive, and why the 70s were less creative and even more destructive. And this is why education was destroyed by postmodernism. This is why the family was destroyed by the welfare state. This is why gender relations were destroyed by government programs. This is why love was destroyed by feminism. And this is why the West is being destroyed by immigration. Because we have nothing to fight for but the pleasure of the moment. And the pleasure of the moment is not enough to sustain a civilization because a civilization is about denying the pleasure of the moment. You know who denies the pleasure of the moment? Muslims. They deny the pleasure of the moment. I mean, they pray five times a day. Get up early. I remember being in Morocco. They fired off cannons and said, wake up, wake up. Prayer is better than sleep. Well, you want to sleep, but you go pray. They're about denying the pleasure of the moment. And that's more civilized than the rank hedonism that has infected and undermined the West. And why did they want to get rid of God? It wasn't because they disliked all irrational entities because they then turned to the state. They wanted to get rid of God because they wanted to live a consequence-free, base mammalian life. Now, there is no such thing as consequence-free. So if you have free love, free sex, you get sexually transmitted diseases, you get infertility, you get heartbroken, you lose your capacity to bond, you end, end up with unwanted pregnancies. Because civilization is about, we're not rabbits, we don't just fucking make babies regardless of consequences. We can see down through the tunnel of time, that's our conceptual ability. But they wanted to live as mere base of the brain, medulla stimulated mammals. But the consequence is crude. And so then, what do you do? Well, you either regain your spark of divinity and recognize that you're not an animal and should damn well act better than an animal, or you create a giant welfare state and income redistributionist scheme so that you are not responsible for the consequences of your actions. You can just push the consequences down to the next generation or the generation thereafter through national debts, through unfunded liabilities, through whatever, right? And this hedonism, we all think of the hedonism is just about like food and, and sex. And look at the hedonism, right? Obesity is all over the place in the West because of hedonism. Sexual license all over the place in the West because 
hedonism. It's our selected. But it's not just sex and food and comfort and all of that. Why? Why do you, Mammals don't sacrifice things in that kind of way. And so what else is being indulged in is rage. It's rage. So when 9-11 happens, people say, it's the Taliban. We're going to go blow them up. People, yeah, they indulge in the rage. They don't stop and think, what are the consequences? Now, 17 years on, we know the consequences, but people at the time, they want to indulge their rage. Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. We don't want the smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud. He could blow us all up. We hate that guy. He's terrible. His sons rape people. He's horribly tortures people. Let's go get him. Yeah. Indulge in the rage. Don't stop. Don't sit. Don't think. It's happening right now as we speak with all this bullshit about, well, there are children in cages at the border because of a law signed in 1997. Clinton, every single time. And there were more children in detention under Obama, twice the number. And 10,000 of the 12,000 in detention were unaccompanied, just wandering across the border. Who the hell knows? Maybe they escaped from their pedophile, rapist, mule gang, drug lords. I don't know. But now you can see it. Emotions, 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 feels, feels, feels. That's animalistic. You got Peter Fonda talking about dragging Baron Trump from the arms of Melania and throwing him into a cage with pedophile rapists and having her watch. That is a psychotic indulgence in rage. That is hedonism, the hedonism of hatred. And that, oh, and the guy was an easy rider. I mean, <laughs> tells you all you need to know. Tells you all you need to know. Blue Velvet, the, the Dennis Hopper was in that. Tells you all you need to know. The hedonism of hatred. We've become such a sentimental, feelings-based, rage-based, and passion-based society that we are attempting to hold up the cathedral of a civilization with all the self-knowledge of your average otter. We have descended into the material. We have descended into the mere flesh. And we have become avoidance of pain and pursuit of pleasure. And we are being taken over by those who avoid pleasure and pursue pain sometimes because they're tougher. They're willing to make sacrifices, which we can't even imagine anymore. Why would you sacrifice to save civilization? Why would you tell the truth, even though it harms you? Well, you tell the truth under religion, under Christianity, you tell the damn truth because otherwise, tell the truth and shame the devil. Otherwise, you contribute to the damnation of the world and you yourself may go to hell for bearing false witness. So you tell the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. Why on earth would a mere mammal in pursuit of pleasure and avoiding pain, why on earth would that mammal tell the truth? What the hell was Socrates doing? It made no sense at all. It makes sense if you know about the spark of divinity. It makes sense if you understand the value of humanity. It makes no sense if you're a mammal in pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Why on earth would you tell the truth? And this is why it's so easy to erase free speech laws in Europe. Next month, the European Union Parliament votes to end free speech basically on the internet with these horrible Article 13 censorship laws, the guise of protecting property rights. Yeah, they really care about property rights, this massive taxation power of the governments of Europe. They really, really care about property rights, right? This is why they never, ever would push debts down to the next generation who never voted for the benefits because, you know, they're so into property rights. It's really, really important for them. So, but why would you fight? Why would you fight? Well, you see, if you tell the truth, people might get mad at you. They might uh, phone your boss. They might uh, try and get you fired. They might, well, okay. 
Jesus got nailed to a cross. You, you, you tell the truth. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. But mammals don't tell the truth. I saw this video today, this dog playing around in a pool. I guess he wasn't supposed to be in there. And then he notices that his uh, owner is watching him and he kind of slowly slinks out of the pool and goes and hides behind a bush. Because <laughs> he's, you know, he was pursuing pleasure, which was being in the pool. And then he thought maybe he'd get punished from his owner. So then he got out of the pool and hid behind a bush and just no philosophy, just pursuit of pleasure and then avoidance of pain. So I think that uh, uh, atheism had a lot to do with just wanting to loose the restraint of divinity and merely indulge the animal. And the animal starts with lust. It starts with hunger. But so often it ends with murder. If you look at the atheistic regimes in the uh, communist world and, and other places, yeah, it ends with a lot of death. It ends with a lot of murder. Because we can't live like animals. We can't. We're not animals. We're human beings. We cannot live hedonistically for long. Hedonism is self-destruction. We can as long live hedonistically, or we can as successfully live hedonistically as putting a chimpanzee in charge of bridge building. It's the wrong tool for the wrong job. So the far left is about stripping free will, right? Because what does the far left say? It's all environment. If you're born poor, that's your mindset. If you're born a woman, that's your mindset. If you're born this, if you're born that, that's your mindset. Well, of course, the white males have to be attacked because they're exempt from all of this. And so there's a strong environmentalism, a strong rejection of free will on the part of a lot of atheist thinkers. And so because there is a focus on determinism, on the destruction of free will, then you can't really blame people for the consequences of their own actions, which means you need a massive government to redistribute, redistribute resources from people who just happen to be more successful randomly, accidentally. You know, you're in the casino and someone rolls these dice and then you roll this dice and it's just random. So why should this guy have more? It's just luck. It's just the way the dice rolled. So take some money from him, give it to him. So he doesn't get beat up by the mafia. This guy, what does he need the executive penthouse suite for? So because it's all environmental, you can't take ownership. You're not responsible. And so, well, you know, if you're a woman, you had sex out of wedlock, you got pregnant and you want to raise the kid. Yeah, it's let the government pay you. It's not your fault. It's no free will, no morality, no choice, no capacity to defer gratification. So this is why when you go atheist, so often you go hedonistic, People lose their capacity to shame others, to punish others, to attack others, except on the left. Again, always except on the left. <clears throat> Everything gets subscribed to the environment, which means nobody's to blame, which means everybody's mistakes must be fixed by the state. And this is why you end up with a giant government. Now, the last thing I'll say, and thank you for letting me rant on this way, but it was a great question. It's your show. The last thing I would say is this. The honorable atheists are the atheists who say, well, we have now removed the spark of divinity from humanity, so we must find a way to replace it. We have now removed free will from the lexicon of humanity, so we must find a way to replace it. We have now removed morality from the lexicon of humanity. We must find a way to replace it. This is why atheists get so mad at me, because I talk about choice, consequences, responsibility, free will, and Universal morality. 
not some bullshit pragmatism about, well, it's really nice if we don't have cholera in the water. (laughs) But it's fine to take away something from people, but don't leave them with nothing. That's wrong. If you don't have a better house for people to move to, don't destroy the house they live in. Don't just turn them out into the storm of society. Because not the whole world didn't become atheist all at once. Some countries became more atheist while other countries became more religious. And we can see who's winning. We can see who's growing, who's spreading, and who's shrinking and collapsing and dying off and being overrun. <clears throat> because human beings will always win against animals. And right now, the religious are more human than the atheists. Because the atheists have descended into the mammalian which means that they need the superstition of the state to shore up their hedonism. Well, you know, you really didn't make me feel any better about my outlook. Um, it, I, I was, I guess I've just held on to the idea that uh, humankind is good at heart uh, and we always try to do the right thing, but... No, but I've got, I, you, I've got the answer. Yeah. I mean, I've got universally preferable behavior. I've got lots of arguments against determinism, economic determinism and and material determinism. So I've got the answer. Go out there. Go forth, my friend, and and proselytize universally preferable behavior. That puts the spark back into the mind of man. That puts morality back in the center of society. That is... The ethics for the new millennium, if we are going to have universal ethics, if we're going to have philosophical ethics, that's it. So I'm not saying I'm turning you out of your house of atheism, so to speak, giving you no place to go. Oh, I'm ready to go anyway. Yeah, I'm not, saying this is why I, I this is why I put so much effort into explaining UPB. I got like 20, 30 videos. I got a whole new book coming out with a whole section on going over UPB for the uninitiated who don't want to plow through the bigger book and all of that. It's the thing. Okay, I'll have to check it, it out. It is the I'll be shiznit. Honest. I do believe that's the phrase. Um, don't have a lot of time for reading. I, I catch almost all of your stuff, either audio or video. Um, well, it's, it's an audio book. I mean, you can find it on oh, the website. It's also okay. on, um, on YouTube as an audio book. So, yeah, you can get the MP3. You can do that. Sweet. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, you certainly have uh, answered a lot of my questions, I, I have some other thoughts on it, but maybe that's for another time and a different discussion. Hey, it's been, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you listening to my question and, and answering it. Um, but I think that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate that. Thank you, everyone, so much for calling in and chewing the cut of these great morsels of mental energy with me. It's a great pleasure to chat with you about all of this. Don't forget, if you're anywhere near Australia slash New Zealand, axiomatic.events. You can check out the show that's coming out with Lauren and myself, and you can help out the show, freedomainradio.com slash donate. You know you need to. You know you want to. You know it's the right thing to do. Come on, look at how much effort and energy we pour out into the world and how much success we're having. It's all up to you, freedomainradio.com slash donate. And if you've got shopping to do, fdrurl.com forward slash Amazon. Pick up your copy of The Art of the Argument at theartoftheargument.com. Follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and... Last but not least, please sign up for the newsletter at freedomainradio.com. Thanks, everyone. Steph Bot is out. <laughs>